Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to call this meeting of the Charter Review Committee to order. Um, Shirley, would you uh, take a moment and just to uh, make the usual announcements? Sure. Be happy to. Um, for those of you who wish to speak to items that are on the agenda or under public comment, there are speaker slips located in the back. If you can complete those and turn them in to the assistant clerk at the desk, that would be helpful. Also, if you have a cell phone, if you could turn it to the silent position, 
um, that would also be helpful. That's it. Thank you. I think we're ready for a roll call, Shirley, if you could do that and determine whether we have a quorum, please. Joanne Poehler. Cecily Hastings. Grantland Johnson. Alan LaFasso. Here. Robert Murphy. Here. Chester Newland. Here. Chris Tapio. Here. John Taylor. Tina Thomas. And Jay Wisham. Here. We do have a quorum. Thank you. Um, Patty, Mark, are there any uh, staff comments, please? Just one brief comment. A report back on the website traffic. We previously reported to you data related to May, in which there were 1,700 hits. In June, there were approximately 2,100 hits, and in July, 3,600. Okay, members were on item number one, uh, approval of the minutes. Uh, are there any changes or corrections? If not, I'd like to hear a second, or a motion and a second, please. And a second? Thank you, Ellen. All in favor? Aye. Opposed? Minutes are approved. Correspondence, Mark, you want to take that item just briefly? Um, there is one item that came in today that is not in the packet or up on the web. That is the public comment that we received from, I believe her name is Celia Puff, and it was in reference to the uh, charter and the, the strong mayor initiative that will be on the ballot and her opinions uh, regarding that. So that is available and will be put up on the web after the meeting. And I believe Mark has some comments. And Chair Edgar, in addition to that material, staff has prepared uh, some data related to the city of Albuquerque in preparation for tonight's discussion. And this comes really with the assistance of the staff at the city of Albuquerque, so we thank them as well. That's uh, the document that looks like this with the contrast between the city of Sacramento and the city of Albuquerque. Okay, members, I think we're on item three at this point. Um, discussion of the Mayor Council Forum. We invited uh, several speakers to um, either attend our meeting or call in. Uh, we've been very, uh, we've been successful and we're very pleased to have uh, two um, people speak with us today. The first is Mayor uh, Chavez, the Mayor of Albuquerque, who is on the line with us. And uh, Mayor, thank you for joining us um, and taking the time out of your schedule to be with us this evening. We push, appreciate that. Mark, you want to provide a little background, please? Sure. Mayor Martin Chavez is an Albuquerque native who has been elected mayor three times. He served his first term from 1993 to 1997 and returned to the mayor's office in 2001 and serves today in that capacity in their mayor council form of government. Mayor Chavez earned, it his, earned his bachelor's degree from the University of New Mexico and a Juris Doctorate from Georgetown. He's also served in the New Mexico Senate from 1989 to 1993, and we very much appreciate his time tonight. I'll also remind the committee that if you could speak directly into the microphones this evening, it'll assist uh, the, spe the speakers in hearing us uh, during the conversation this evening. 
Mayor Chavez, uh, welcome aboard. We thanks very much of uh, your being here. With respect to the format this evening, we'd like to proceed as follows. Any, of course, introductory comments you want to make, you're certainly welcome to do that. And then we have a series of questions that, that we're interested in receiving your input on, uh, basically the benefits, as you see it, of the strong mayor governance structure, uh, basically the pros and cons of the mayor um, deliberating with the council or without the council, uh, the separation of the executive and the legislative body. N then your thoughts on the appropriate appointment and veto powers and maybe your thoughts on the appropriate role of the mayor in developing the city budget. Uh, term limits would be helpful and uh, whether you think that the uh, city council as well as the mayor ought to be full time. Sir, the floor is yours. Well, uh, thank you so much, and we'll work our way. I hope I'm, uh, you can hear me because I'm using a hands-free device, and if not, we can fix that. Uh, but uh, uh, I really am pleased to have been asked to just give some comments. Uh, by way of background, Albuquerque, until 1972, uh, had a weak mayor form of government with, uh, a kind of commi with a city commission and a manager. Uh, and it served us well, but as we grew uh, in size, uh, it became clear that we needed to do more consolidation of, of authority, frankly, uh, in order to just simply get things done. Uh, and so we changed to a strong mayor format. Uh, two terms, uh, although that was recently challenged by me uh, in our state Supreme Court and the term limits were thrown out as violative of the state constitution. But generally, uh, most folks here support term limits. I've got an election in October. We'll find out how strong we support them. Uh, uh, so I had the opportunity uh, to, to work as a trustee of the Conference of Mayors, and I've, and I've worked with your mayors going all the way back to Joe uh, and, uh, and then Heather, of course, now your new mayor. I think is an outstanding gentleman. Uh, and as a trustee of the Conference of Mayors, I've seen uh, both types of, of systems, or actually many varieties of systems, between strong and, and what we call weak mayor form of government. Uh, the benefits of a strong mayor form of government, I think, are, are, are pretty clear. You have a consolidation, some aggregation of, of power and authority, uh, which ultimately is what we all exercise in, in elected office. We exercise uh, power uh, that's granted to us by the electorate. Uh, and uh, it also uh, heightens the accountability. Uh, one of the frustrations that I know that many, many mayors have that are in the weak form is that uh, folks don't know the difference. They assume that you have the authority, uh, but they, you know, they, they certainly give you the responsibility, if you will, uh, for anything that might go awry. Uh, and uh, so I, I really do believe in, in the strong mayor format. Uh, city managers, if you've got the good city manager, can be very effective, uh, but oftentimes they get used as footballs, uh, political footballs between council members. Or if you have one that's particularly astute, they'll just be there for 25 years, and it's their way of the highway because elected officials come and go. Uh, and uh, we had a little saying about some of the city employees who would call them weeby. We'd be here when you get here. We'd be here when you're gone. Uh, and you do need to have that at least enough authority uh, put together to, to be able to move the ball forward. I'm happy to answer questions on this. I'm familiar with uh, different cities, what they do. 
uh, pitfalls, maybe pitfalls that uh, they've encountered. And uh, I'm excited about what you're doing. I, I think uh, Sacramento is a great town, uh, and uh, and these are challenging times. And government's got to be modified to adapt to the times. And and as, as uh, the chief of staff for President Obama said recently, we can't let these crises go to waste. Uh, and it's an opportunity to maybe think outside the box, uh, restructure government to be effective for the future, uh, because the challenges for the future are not necessarily the same as, as the past. Mayor, one of the criticisms has been that perhaps the um, the executive mayor concept consolidates too much power. What would your response be? Well, it, it's it's always a balance, uh, and and I think all of you probably have enough maturity to know that you know, very few things are black and white. Uh, I've all I've seen my community transformed through the strong mayor form in a way that I think was different than it would have had we not changed uh, over uh, the last 30 years uh, because there has been a mayor who's been a focal point, who's who's been a leader, and it doesn't matter whether people in the public or private sector, everybody, whether they admit it or not, wants leadership, and they want strong leadership. Uh, and the nice thing about a strong mayor form of government, yeah, you give them the power. One, they, you set limits on it uh, in terms of having elections, uh, but you can hold them accountable for it. Uh, the real frustration, I mean, try to fire a city manager. Uh, you have to go through your council member, uh, and I hope I'm not offending the city manager. I'm assuming that you manage a perfectly fine individual. Uh, but I would just simply make the case that it's okay to aggregate power, uh, particularly at the municipal level, to get things done. But no one knows. Uh, I, I couldn't tell you exactly what the president did today, what my U.S. senator, my congressman did today, uh, but... Mayors are in your face. Uh, it's, it's, we deal with the real problems uh, where people live, uh, and so that account, you know, giving the authority is is okay as long as you hold them accountable, and that's 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 what I contend. How do you work with the other council members? Well, you know, I've, <laughs> the, the young people in my office call me the mayor of Turnham uh, because if you're if you're 18 years old, 19 years old, that's about all you've seen is me. Uh, I've worked uh, in the three terms I've been in over a four-term peri- four period uh, with a variety of city councils, and it's just varied. Uh, right now, there's a uh, there's we have a charter uh, review going on that's going on to the ballot, uh, and there's real disagreement with the council. Uh, they've attempted to, to take power uh, and and essentially divide it. We have nine city council districts in Albuquerque. Uh, and it's very difficult to get beyond the geographic politics, uh, the mayor being the only one that's responsible for the whole city. Uh, and uh, so yeah, it just varied. It just depends on the council. We're nonpartisan, and I believe very strongly in nonpartisan municipal government. Uh, the, the issues you deal with are tough enough. Uh, then you add the politics of the personalities to that. uh makes it even more difficult. And then to add the partisan politics, I think, just sometimes makes things totally impossible. I was five years in the state senate uh, in a partisan environment, and I understand how they work, but I think it's better at the local level uh, to be nonpartisan, and, and it makes you more pragmatic and more problem-solving oriented. Ms. Fuller. Uh, welcome to the meeting. I was recently in Albuquerque, and I know it's a beautiful city, so congratulations. 
Um, I'm interested in the checks and balances that you folks have in your charter in terms of uh, balancing an executive mayor and, um, and the other uh, people that have power in the council. And I'm sorry, I didn't get the whole question. The I'm interested in what you mentioned, that there were checks and balances within your charter in terms of the executive mayor, and I'm wondering what those are. Well, what we do is, is the mayor appoints the chief administrative officer, who under the charter is responsible for personnel. Mayor by charter is prohibited from uh, messing with the personnel system, and I think that doesn't sound... Uh, it's a sound premise to, to have a protected uh, civil service, which is our federal system as well. Uh, that CAO uh, is subject to confirmation uh, by the city council. So there's a check right there. All department directors are hired by the mayor, uh, but all are, again, subject to confirmation. And then they serve at the, at the pleasure or will of the chief executive. Uh, so the, most of the checks are on the way in. The legislative body in Albuquerque is still the policy-making body. Uh, it has the power of the purse. The mayor uh, presents a budget every, every year, and, of course, we're required by law, as all cities are, to, to balance our budgets. Uh, and the council can accept, amend, reject that ballot. mayor has veto authority, but with uh, an extraordinary majority, six out of the nine, the veto can be overridden. Uh, so if you can put six councilors together, uh, they can't quite engage in executive function, but they can they can make uh, the chief elected official work with them uh, if he or she wants to get anything accomplished. Uh, Ms. Hastings. Um, I've got just a couple questions I'm trying to put together here. When did uh, Albuquerque adopt the when, – when did the strong mayor form of government become effective? And again, I'm sorry, your speaker system is, is failing you. Uh, I did not hear the question. When was the strong mayor form of government adopted in Albuquerque? 1972. 1972. Okay. And was it done by, um, uh, and, well, no, they don't. It was, can you briefly, if you know, describe sort of how the city got from its former, former form of government to the strong mayor? And uh, Mark, I believe, is it? Could you repeat it? Sure. How or why did your city migrate to that form? Uh, I think that there was a trend that was running around the country, and there was some frustration with uh, the, the, the city wasn't moving as quickly as people wanted it to move. Uh, and uh, I'm proud to say that I wasn't old enough to pay that much attention. Uh, in 1972, I was a, a college student uh, with other priorities. Uh, but uh, my recollection and my sense since then, because we've, we've done charter review and changes uh, uh, a number of times since then, uh, was that it was simply the uh, what big cities did, actually. Uh, big cities have mayors that make decisions and, and, and lead uh, their communities. Mr. Tapia. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, Mr. Mayor, um, I, I'm curious to get a sense of what the people in Albuquerque think of your form of government. Um, I, I looked on uh, your 
city's website at, at your charter, and I see it has a long history of revision. Um, seems to be updated every year or two, and even this May, you had a charter review committee that went through and proposed a number of changes. Have you guys proposed changing back to the council manager form, or um, are people generally pretty satisfied with the executive mayor system that you currently have? And my there have been no proposals to uh, go back to a, uh, a council uh, manager form of government, uh, none whatsoever. What is at play right now, it's just part of our local dynamic, is a tug of war between the executive and legislative branches to uh, certain appointment authority, uh, independence of the city attorney, independence of the city clerk, uh, and that's reflected in the charter, which uh, uh, which I vetoed, actually, and I think I'll get overridden uh, on it uh, because the council is constantly trying to take uh, power back, uh, and and that's not an unhealthy thing. It's it's you have you know it's by it's two parts it's a, a two two entity uh, system, you know, legislative body and executive branch. We don't have a judicial system, uh, so there's always a healthy tension or friction, if you will, between the two bodies. It's usually healthy. I mean, and that's one of the things that you're challenged if you're going to convert your form of government, make sure that it is functional. Uh, I, my strong suggestion is don't set a mayor up as a strong mayor and then uh, withhold from him or her the ability to really get things done for the community. Uh, but I've, I'm a big believer that uh, you know, absolute power uh, never works. And one follow-up question, uh, or additional question. Can you describe the um, credentials of your current uh, chief operating, uh, chief administrative officer? Is he like a, a professional city manager, or is it a, um, you know, what kind of professional or academic background um, has your CAO have currently or previous ones if he hasn't been on the job very long? The, uh, under our format, we have a chief administrative officer, and then we have what we call uh, deputy administrative officers. Uh, and uh, I've, because I've been around so long, I've had a number of chief administrative officers, uh, but they've all been extraordinarily well credentialed. Under the charter, uh, I could pick my brother-in-law uh, as long as I got five votes on the council. Uh, so there's not a need to, to have, there's no requirement to have a credential. But going back since 72, uh, I've known who every CAO has been, and every one of them has been really good. My current one uh, is a career city employee. He was chief operating officer overseeing 10 departments. Uh, he's an engineer uh, by profession, uh, and he's just risen through the ranks. Uh, he's not much of a politician. I tell him that all the time. He doesn't like to hear it, but he's not. Uh, and uh, we generally leave the politics to me, and he just does the day-to-day -day efficient running of the government. My chief financial officer, who's a political appointee, uh, has a master's degree in uh, public administration. Uh, and actually, my last CAO was the head of public administration at the University of New Mexico. He now works for our governor. Uh, and my chief uh, uh, operating officer has her master's degree in uh, public finance. So they're all very, you know, everyone has uh, a master's degree. Um, that's one of the things you find. Mayors, we've had uh, one-term mayors. Actually, most of our mayors have been one-term. We were really rough on them early on uh, as a community. Uh, but uh, the ones that hire people that don't have the qualifications find out pretty quickly that they don't get things done. Uh, you really have to professionalize the operation. Mr. Lofaso. Good evening, Mayor. 
I uh, was in your city this morning, so you have a lot of fans in Sacramento. Thank you for addressing us today. Um, I was, Mr. Tapio asked a good part of my question, but I'll expand on it. Um, I, I appreciated your comment about the virtues of a civil service system, but as I think you've alluded, um, some more than just the CAO are maybe a good way to call them as discretionary positions, and I was wondering if you'd describe for us how many positions are under the direct control of the mayor? And uh, my other question, which you, I think, also alluded to, was uh, in some other cities, mayors we've spoken to in executive mayor systems, the CAO's term tends to, or at least I've been educated that it tends to coincide with the tenure of a particular mayor as opposed to uh, traversing different mayors and councils. And um, so I wonder if you could tell me how – describe the, the discretionary appointees and the, and the, and the, the tenures they tend to, they tend to mm. occupy their jobs. Well, I've, I've always granted uh, and acceded to any incoming elected official a period of time to show themselves, even if I've, you know, voted against them or – Disagreed with them. It's our it's our process, and I hope we're respectful of our people coming in, uh, at least for a while until we toss them back out. Uh, what uh, we've done here is uh, the the I believe strongly that uh, a mayor ought to have people that serve at his or her uh, whim, is the way I say it. Uh, obviously, you can't fire them for unconstitutional reasons, race, gender, religion, things of that nature, but. Uh, they're there to achieve the political purposes, the policy purposes of the chief elected official. Uh, you run on a platform, say we're going to do this, we're going to build this bridge, we're going to make this road, we're going to clean up the graffiti, whatever it may be. We're going to add so many police officers. And they're there to execute on that policy. They're there to drive the bureaucracy. Uh, we have 17 departments. We've got 6,300 employees right now. Uh, some of the departments are small, some are rather large. Each one has a director who serves at the pleasure of the mayor. Now, I did something a couple of years ago that uh, was, some people disagreed with it, but I added a deputy slot uh, into each department that serves at the, at the will of the mayor because in some of the departments, I was, I've seen perfectly good administrators, good directors chewed up uh, by the bureaucracy. Just couldn't get it moving, get it done uh, to create change. And so... Uh, that's about where we're at. There's about, I'd say, and then in the mayor's office, uh, maybe 12 people, uh, that, and they all serve at the pleasure of the mayor. So we're probably in the 50 to 60 uh, out of uh, over 6,000 employees. It's not a whole lot. Uh, we do have some categories of exempt employees, uh, what we call exempt employees that really aren't political. They're just there for odd reasons, like lifeguards in the summer are exempt because you don't need a full-time lifeguard if you don't swim in, uh, in January or February. Ms. Hastings. Uh, I'd like to, I, somehow I didn't come away with a definitive answer, sir, on the number of positions under the mayor that the previous uh, gentleman asked that question. Was the, I think you'd sorry, asked I didn't for get a, the, I didn't hear that. Uh, the number of positions that are appointed by the mayor. The number, it's, it's in around 60 or so. Okay. Uh, it's, it's not a whole lot. Uh, now the, uh, all, technically, for example, all the city, the city attorney and the assistant city's attorney, uh, serve at the pleasure of the mayor. 
but it's really rare uh, that that a, a lawyer gets fired for reasons other than cause. Actually, they don't. Uh, they're, they're working. Uh, I did something four years ago when I came when I was reelected, and I asked for letters of resignation from all the lawyers that had never been done before. But under our charter, they serve at the pleasure of the mayor. And there was a great hue and cry, but I thought they were getting lazy. Uh, and uh, I fired, ended up letting one go out of about 50. Uh, but it, uh, they started working harder. You know, they showed up before 8 and left after 5, which is what I think lawyers should be doing. Either that or maybe they shouldn't be showing up at all. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but most of, your, most of our system, is a, it's a civil service protected, and uh, they have a 25-year retirement. 20 years for public safety, uh, and uh, it, it works moderately well. Mayor, are there any positions in the city that are independent or and or appointed by the city council, such as uh, independent budget analyst or uh, inspector general or auditor, anything like that? We have uh, uh, the... The budget is prepared and presented by the mayor. The budget controls the mayor controls the budget staff, chief financial officer. But the city council itself uh, has budget staff as well, uh, and for the most part, they all work relatively well. Uh, but there are issues when you know you, you draw the line and you have a disagreement, and whoever has the majority of votes in the council uh, prevails on that issue. And then the executive always has a little bit more because we're in charge of implementation and how fast it gets implemented, well, that's, that, that can be discretionary with, with the chief elected official. We have a, an independent uh, auditor. Uh, it's, it's a form of inspector general. Uh, and we just started that about three years ago. Uh, and uh, we're feeling our way through it. Uh, that person is uh, hired by the mayor but uh, confirmed by the council, but then can only be fired for cause doesn't serve at the pleasure of the mayor. Uh, and, uh, you know, they do audits, and it, it's an audit function, which I think is really important in any, any major organization to have some sort of internal audit, and, they, and they're totally independent of the mayor's office. The Right now, and I proposed this a year ago, and it's going to go on the ballot now, is to give a modicum of independence to the city clerk that runs the elections, simply because they run the elections. Uh, but... The elections only happen every two years here. Uh, we rotate our council every two years. Actually, four years overlapping, so it's the election every two years. But they're also in charge of all the public records. Uh, and that's one where we, frankly, have some heartache or heart, heartburn over letting it be totally independent because uh, making records accessible to the public, you know, the Good Strong Open Records Act, Electronic Access Act, uh, sometimes bureaucrats don't like to, you know, they like to hide stuff. And so, uh, but that one will probably be made more independent in this charter process. Let me let me understand that though that position of the auditor, and perhaps later the city clerk, they're independent. They're appointed by you, but they're they're and confirmed by the council. But they're, when when you say they're independent, who do they report to? Well, after they're after they're confirmed by the council, they then become independent. Uh, they can only be fired for cause. That is, you know, gross malfeasance of office, committing a crime, stealing things of that nature. Uh, and so they have, they, they really do have independence. 
uh, I guess conceivably the council or the mayor, if he could get the council to go along, could short them on their budget uh, if you want to, you know, whack them a little bit. But it's uh, that wouldn't that wouldn't play in in the public. Uh, so they, they they truly are independent. Are they appointed for life? Uh, no. Well, they they they're subject to the same twenty five year retirement. And, and theoretically, yeah, they could stay for forever. So they're we like a federal have, judge. Uh, an, an ethics board uh, okay. that is evenly right. divided between mayoral appointees and council appointees. And it has the authority to remove elected officials from office. Uh, it has the authority to uh, receive complaints. It has subpoena power uh, to subpoena records uh, and hold hearings about any elected official, uh, municipal elected official, uh, and they can fine uh, and remove people from office. Thank you. Um, and that's, that's one I really I, I've been on the receiving end, and it's not very comfortable, but <laughs> it's 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 an important function, and I strongly recommend it. Thank you, uh, Ms. Fuller. Biography that you were reelected and cleaned up the city and lowered crime rates and that kind of thing. And I just wonder what happened uh, with the, in a contrast with the, your predecessor and you to, um, to have things go down and then you got them back up again. I'm sorry, I didn't hear the last part, so. If it could be repeated, I, the last part. I, I was trying to be clear to say that it, it looks like from the biography that we got that things went downhill when you left office and then now you're back and things are good again. And I just wonder what happened with that in that time when you were not in office. And, and what, kind, what, kind of, what kind of problems, not, 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 that the, you ha, uh, not to quantify the problems you have, but um, – to look at the executive mayor system as its ability to impact on those kind of problems. There's, there's, the question relates to a reference in your biography to lowered crime rates uh, in your second, in your second and third terms, and the, mm -hmm. and the question relates to you know, was there a, a change in those crime rates after you left office the first time, uh, to which after re-election the second time. Uh, things changed for the better, and how does you know, how does any of that relate to the form of government? Uh, well, uh, it, see, how do I answer that? Because uh, crime has almost continually gone down, but we have a number of issues. One, we have close proximity to the border, so auto theft spiked uh, last year, and there were cars getting stolen and taken to Mexico. Uh, we've run the meth labs out of town, but there's still a pipeline of strong Mexican methamphetamine that comes into town. And meth is a horrific uh, drug uh, in terms of public safety concerns. Uh, so, uh, it, what 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 we all do because the the police chief serves at the pleasure of the mayor, but we've had good uh, uh, or very little turnover in chiefs of police. Usually, if they're doing a decent job, mayors keep them on, uh, and uh, but the fact that they respond to the mayor has allowed the mayor to say, look, this is a, a real serious problem right here. Let's focus on it. Uh, simple one. Uh, for years, Albuquerque had a real graffiti problem. You know, in the scope or spectrum of crime, it's not a rape, it's not a homicide, 
but it has a really deleterious impact on the investment worthiness of a community, the livability of a community. And and I told they, I told my police chief, look, we're going to we're going after these punks, uh, and we did. And we also put in some programs to clean up and call in, and that. And Albuquerque is virtually graffiti free today, uh, and uh, a, you know, I I could see in the old form of government a chief looking at the mayor and going, nope, it's not that important. We're not here to go after these kids with spray can. You know, we're going after the other crimes. And so that broken window theory of crime that we're all familiar with coming out of New York uh, is better implemented in a, uh, with a, a strong chief executive. Mayor, uh, there are approximately 6,000 employees in Albuquerque. Uh, of those, how many work for the council and how many work for you? Too many work for the council, not enough for me. Um, <laughs> well, we, I know that. We actually have had, we, we've had an interesting thing go on with the legislative branch, and part of it is some <laughs> philosophical differences that we've had where they staffed up. And, and the council has the full authority uh, to hire staff and budget for staff uh, to, to effectuate their obligations under our charter, which is uh, very heavily centered on the planning process. Uh, and then, of course, that's all legislation gets passed by them or are not passed by them. Um, I think the council today probably has about 45 staffers, uh, which is dramatically more. They didn't used to, each councilor didn't used to have a personal assistant. Now they do. Uh, and uh, I think they've actually probably got close to two personal assistants, uh, and it creates real headaches. Um, but still, the executive runs the executive branch. Our charter is clear that the council is prohibited from engaging in executive functions. Uh, and uh, we, we bicker sometimes about the, what that means, uh, but the power really is centered in uh, the mayor. Uh, but the mayor has to do what the council says on policy. They set policy. Thank you. Dr. Newland. Uh, this is Chester Newland, Mr. Mayor. Thanks for being with us. I would like to return to the topic of audits for just a moment and the role of the auditor. Uh, first, can you hear me all right? I'm sorry, I'm going to ask for that one to be repeated. Okay. Uh, I wanted to ask whether the auditor performs performance audits beyond financial audits. For example, Mark, you give might the mayor or the council direct the auditor to do performance audits in terms of economy, efficiency, effectiveness beyond financial audits? question is with your auditor's office are they able to do, do they go do they perform performance audits that go beyond the financial traditional financial audits that the auditor's office would be customarily used for and do the, can the mayor and or the council direct any of those audits uh, the the short answer is they don't they perform pretty traditional uh, fiscal auditing function they have the authority to do it. It's a relatively new system. Uh, it can be uh, initiated by either the mayor or a majority of the council, uh, or uh, self-initiated by the by our inspector general. Uh, so, we have our budgeting system in Albuquerque is performance-based, uh, and so we spend a fair amount of time in the community setting these uh, five-year, ten-year performance goals. And then each item in the budget is then required to uh, 
you have to demonstrate how it helps us achieve those goals. Uh, and I would imagine, as I read our charter today, that the uh, that uh, auditor has the authority to look at that. They just have not chosen to do so. Uh, one related question, then. In many jurisdictions, virtually everyone, including much of the public, would have access to the automated information system so that a council member or I, as a local resident, could track every financial authorization from the time of approval, through appropriation, through contracts, through internal audit, and through annual audits. Does your automated information system support that? Uh, it absolutely does. Uh, there's, we have an Electronic uh, Records Act uh, that I'm, I'm very, very proud of uh, that uh, uh, makes every aspect of City Hall accessible. There's no record, that, uh, personnel records uh, and criminal investigations. Uh, they can't be accessed very easily, either in person or online. Now, understood, that's always a challenge. Uh, you know, understanding government finance, even people who have been out for a long time sometimes uh, don't get it. I thank you. Mr. LaFosso. Mayor, uh, you've alluded a couple times to the council trying to retake power, and mm -hmm. I gathered that that occurs through the charter review process, although please correct me if I'm wrong. I wanted to ask, when the council attempts to do that, and I know it's not your point of view, but can you articulate what arguments the council puts forth when it, when it seeks to, do, to, to take back power? Well, Sure, and, and it, it it absolutely uh, varies uh, issue to issue. Um, uh, one of it, part of it, uh, I'll give you an example, boards and commissions. Uh, under our charter, traditionally, the mayor appoints members of boards and commissions. They're confirmed by the city councilors, uh, and they serve a term, uh, and they can be reappointed for one term. Uh, council, uh, some of the council, had a majority of the council wasn't happy that I wasn't appointing uh, people they wanted, uh, and they put a measure on the ballot, which passed, uh, that gave them more say-so in the appointment of boards and commissions. Uh, and so, you know, that was an example where we were having political disagreement. I was putting uh, people that supported the agenda I wanted uh, on boards and commissions, and they wanted their people. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was essentially a political dispute and was resolved by the voters. And, and now that uh, the... The legislative body has authority than they did in the past in that regard. Um, but it, it's always, you know, local government is so so immediate. You get some of these are, are differences of opinion that are, are based on philosophy. Some have to do with uh, geographical needs within the city. Uh, you know, one area has a need perhaps greater than another. And then some, sometimes they're, they're both politically and personality driven. One thing I would recommend, and I know you didn't ask me, but if, if you're going to go to a strong format, uh, instead of just dividing the, the community into districts for counselors, I, I believe that the Supreme Court decisions allow uh, a couple of at-large city counselors. Hmm. Uh, and I've often thought it would be nice if I had at least a couple of counselors who were obligations like mine were to the whole community as opposed to just dividing by nine uh, all the time uh, because it, it's, there's a legitimate role for counselors to look out for their neighborhoods. That's, that's perfectly legitimate. 
uh, it ought not to be to the exclusion uh, of the needs of the entire community. If I can follow up on that, Mr. Mayor, are, are you assuming that at-large council positions would necessarily view the city's interests as a whole similar to your policy viewpoint? I didn't catch the last part, Mark, if you could. Are you assuming that at-large council members would you uh, always take the, view, the, the larger view of the city? Uh, well, yes, I am. Uh, I am. I'm making that assumption. It may not be an accurate assumption. Uh, but the, the politics of an election uh, force it to build a majority of the votes. Uh, otherwise, you don't get elected. Uh, and if, uh, if, if uh, I would imagine that a citywide councilor is going to have to respond to the same pressures uh, that, that I do. Uh, and that tends to end up in the end working for the majority, since that's how you get elected. But, but if I may follow up, I, I'm not sure you captured all of my question, Mr. Press, which I, I, I guess I'm somewhat skeptical that there's only one majoritarian citywide perspective that all elected citywide officials would take, that there wouldn't be rivalries, that there wouldn't be mayor runners-up, that there wouldn't be other reasons why other at-large officials who were in a policy-making role at the council would simply by virtue of being elected citywide necessarily support your policy agenda. Yeah, and I, and I would readily concede that uh, that's my supposition that I may be inaccurate. In talking to mayors around the country that have some at-large councillors, uh, they like that system a lot. Uh, I've also thought it would be interesting to toy with doing a hybrid uh, where the, the mayor sits on the council, which they do frequently in, in the weaker forms, uh, but which forces just sitting in the same room together, you know, forces a, either, well, I think more collaboration uh, than totally pitting the branches against each other. That's just a human nature. If you sit at the same table, you can only fight for so long before you start figuring out that you got to get some stuff done. Mayor, on that particular point, could I just ask, did you say you support that, that the mayor should sit with the council? I, I actually would. Uh, I would. I would put the mayor on the council uh, with perhaps uh, some modification of the authority, not the full authority, maybe it's even to prescribe the agenda uh, or, or to break the ties, which is, is you know, very common around uh, the country. Uh, I just, and I'm just looking at, at my city and thinking how that might make a difference uh, because, again, in my experience, I've had councils where we're, we're all moving in the same direction and other times when you think there's nine mayors down on, on that floor, you know, and everybody's moving in different directions. Mr. Murphy. So systemically, what you want to do is you want to, you want to have the best system possible that, that, that makes people work together, but also assumes that sometimes people don't and that sometimes you need someone to take charge and move the place forward. Uh, anytime you break the power up so much, uh, you run the risk of just a, a gridlock. Mr. Mayor, Bob Murphy, I wanted to go back to the budget process for a moment. You said that the city council had its own budget staff. I'm interested in how many people that is and what it costs. 
And same with independent auditor, uh, how many people that is and what it costs. And does that come out of your budget that you prepare, or is there a separate council budget in some manner? No, it, it is, it is uh, the, the mayor's budget. The mayor proposes the budget. The council then can amend it, change it, you know, uh, totally change it uh, as long as it's balanced. Uh, and there, in, in early on, there's maybe one person in the council staff that understood budgets uh, and the executive have trem- had tremendous leverage there. Uh, now uh, they have uh, oh, about four or five individuals that are, are financial experts, budget experts. They're still only commenting and inputting on what the mayor has presented, uh, but they're so well-versed that uh, it's hard to pull a fast one. You know, they're, they're looking... Uh, and, and they're looking out for the, the, the interests and initiatives of the individual counselors uh, as well, which sometimes uh, are consistent with the mayor's uh, budget, sometimes inconsistent. Can you give me an idea what the cost of that is? Oh, I'd be happy to have staff uh, have our budget folks give you every bit of data that, that you'd like to have. I, I would imagine... See, our, our general fund budget is $475 million. Capital budget is probably another $500 million. So we're, we're, we're bumping a billion dollars a year as a budget. Uh, and of the general fund, that's the operational part. You're probably talking about $200,000. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Hastings. My question has been answered. Okay. Uh, any further questions? Okay. Um, at this time, we have some speakers from the audience. Should we uh, allow them to speak now or after we talk to the mayor? And I apologize, I'm not hearing anything. <laughs> we were going to ask the mayor maybe to do a concluding statement. Okay. And then if you have anybody who has specific questions, perhaps to him. We do have another speaker that's planned, and maybe so, at the end of the second speaker, then the community We'll take questions. Speak. Yeah, yes. that, that makes sense. I'll, I'll do it that way. Mayor, we thank you very much uh, for uh, being with us this evening. I was uh, a pleasure having you with us, and I, I appreciate your taking your time out of your busy schedule to be with us. Uh, if you have any concluding comments, we'd be pleased to hear them now. Sure, I just want to uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for your service. Uh, you know, Sacramento is a great uh, community, and it just takes people working together to move communities forward, and that's what you're doing with this charter. Uh, it's a very important task. It's, it's no different than the task of our founding fathers, sitting down to write the governing document. And, and uh, uh, the judgment won't be in the next five years. It's going to be 10, 20, 30 years down the road, uh, you know, how good a job you've done. And, uh, if anybody runs into uh, Heather Fargo, please tell tell her hello, and then Kevin, tell him hello as well. He's a great new mayor, and we've been excited to have him at the Conference of Mayors. And I'm looking forward to, to, to working with all of you. Thank you very much, Mayor. Okay. Have a good evening. You too. Okay, at this time, I think we'll dial up uh, Mr. Patterson, former mayor of Fresno, who has uh, was involved when they changed the form of government in Fresno. 
Patterson, Mark Prestwich, City of Sacramento. Yes. Hi. We're on agenda item three now. Uh-huh. We're ready to connect you to the committee. Sure. Mr. Patterson, my name is Bill Edgar. I'm the chair of the um, Charter Review Committee for the City of Sacramento. We're honored and pleased to have you with us this evening. We appreciate your being here. Uh, the, uh, with respect to the format, what we'd like to proceed as follows. Any introductory comments that you may have, sir, certainly um, willing to listen to those. We have some questions that we'd like to pose as you're making your remarks. You perhaps could answer them, or we will uh, during the question and answer period. But basically, we're, we're interested in, in Fresno particularly. You were involved when the city changed its form of government. I know because I am from Fresno at least a little bit. And um, what we'd like to find out is what, from your perspective, what are the benefits, the pros and cons of the strong mayor governance structure? Um, and one of the things we're interested in is the separation of the legislative and the executive body, whether that makes sense. Uh, your thoughts on veto powers, uh, term limits, um, which appointments um, the mayor makes and should make, uh, and what's your relationship or what was your relationship with the city council uh, uh, and and how how that worked for you. Uh, please proceed when you when you have a chance. Sure, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to join you and wish you uh, the best in uh, working through all of this and and uh, appropriately uh, arriving at a at a quality decision that ultimately uh, helps the governance of Sacramento. Um, I was elected in 93 at the same time that I was elected there was on the ballot a uh, strong mayor form of government. Uh, the, that ballot measure uh, passed handily and uh, I was elected uh, and uh, four years later I was re-elected and then became the first uh, strong mayor of Fresno. I think right out of the chute uh, I want to make the point that I think it was a, a good thing that the city of Fresno had a, an election in which the charter was changed and then the actual uh, subsequent election four years later was to fill uh, that seat as a, a strong executive mayor. It gave the city a four-year opportunity to know that a new form was coming, and so we uh, began with some uh, committees and some uh, various people, both uh, in the administration and in the governance, uh, uh, professionals and also private uh, sector folks as well, and worked through a transition knowing that the, the next mayor four years down the road would, would uh, be elected to, to that form. Uh, so I'm I glad you, 
I'm glad you raised that point because that's an issue now. I'm glad you raised that point because that's an issue that we're talking about. I'm having a real hard time hearing you. Okay. If the volume could be turned up on your end, sending it to me so I could hear a little better. Is that better? Can you hear me now? Slightly, yes. Okay. I was just opining that your comments on the election first and then the implementation later is very helpful because that's an issue we're facing right now. I think with a major, essentially it's a major constitutional change. Yes. In our, we're at Charter City, and it was a substantial change in the Charter. It did create uh, uh, the tools and the expectation that the next mayor four years down the road would have significantly changed authorities, responsibilities, and uh, 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 the tools to be held accountable. And so I thought, I think that was, that was probably wise. I served uh, the first four years under the city manager council form, and then my second four years as the first uh, strong mayor. We have term limits here to uh, four-year consecutive terms, and then I was termed out in, uh, by, the, by uh, 2001. The, uh, I, so I experienced uh, both forms, and I can just say that I thought, <laughs> obviously I'm a real fan of, of an executive uh, uh, mayor form of government. Uh, I, I, I think we, we exchanged uh, what amounted to the city manager having to uh, essentially please uh, a shifting majority on the city council uh, to a city manager uh, being clearly uh, given the, uh, the the strong mayor in our case had appointed appointed authority over the city manager, and there was a then became a real direct chain of re- relationship, responsibility, and accountability uh, from the from the mayor who was elected at large by everyone to the city manager and then from the city manager through the various department heads. The, the difference, uh, I think, was uh, significant because uh, it provided the chief executive, elected executive of the city, uh, the tools and the opportunity to be clear on priorities, to be consistent on their implementation, and to be able to develop a, a clear expectation uh, of performance w- with the uh, city administrative staff and the employees, and it gave uh, the, the opportunity for the staff uh, to, to have clear uh, expectations and with the budgetary authority given uh, in our case the mayor created uh, with the help from the executive staff the, the, the priorities of the budget the city manager basically compiled it with the professional staff and then it was presented for approval amendment uh, to, the, to the city council it gives the strong mayor an opportunity to craft the the spending priorities that support the uh, policy priorities. And so I think that uh, particularly large, uh, growing, dynamic uh, cities, I think, uh, I, I would say uh, it, it is uh, 
I think, a significantly better form. Uh, it does change the roles, relationships, expectations, and dynamics because it does move to a, a system uh, where the elected mayor is the chief executive of the city and the elected council members become the legislative body. I would say that the, I think where the fundamental primary um, strengths of this system uh, happen to be uh, the ability of the, let, let, the ability of the mayor to be able to clearly articulate vision, priorities, expectations, to have what amounts to a ratification of those visions by election, uh, and then have the tools and the uh, ability to actualize and, and prioritize those, um, those uh, goals and objectives. The city council still, though, has a checks and balance uh, uh, opportunity and obligation. Uh, the budget is proposed, but frankly, you, the, the, the mayor under the strong mayor form still uh, has the responsibility of listening to the council members, collecting up the, the uh, priorities of the council members, uh, reflecting those uh, priorities in the, in the budget as it is unfolded, and then uh, the, the, the budget uh, is, is approved or amended. There is a process then of either a veto or reconsideration. Um, and I would just say four years on the, the council under the old form and four years uh, after, uh, four years as, as the strong mayor, the, the, the fact remains that the budgets were still um, arrived at through discussion through, uh, you know, jointly appreciating priorities, Im embedding them uh, in the spending priorities, and essentially arriving at um, uh, consensus by the council. I mean, 99.9% .9 of the budgetary items that we proposed through the strong mayor form of government was uh, met with consensus uh, by the council. Any wrangling we did usually on a on a eight hundred million dollar budget was maybe over maybe over five to ten million. Uh, so uh, I think the the the, the form I, the also provides for, uh, and I think this what it does, and I think that that Sacramento needs to be. Needs to understand it and be prepared for, for uh, the shift in power because it is a, a it is a power shift. Uh, the under our form here in Fresno, uh, I could propose legislation and budgets and have them actualized with four votes, uh, but I could send a strong message and either use a veto or uh, raise the prospect that a veto might be exercised in order to bring a bare minimum of a four-vote majority into a veto-proof five-vote, so that it, the very fact that you have the tool doesn't mean that the mayor has to use it, but it becomes a discussion point 
with respect to the communication with council members so that uh, an idea that doesn't has not gotten the support of the mayor can be massaged, moved, uh, 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 compromised with uh, in order to gain one more uh, vote. So you can you can readily see that what the cat what you know the, the council is going to have to have five votes to get something past the mayor. The mayor can use the threat of the veto to negotiate and discuss a bare four-vote majority and turn it into a five-vote. And I believe that that wrestling match, if you will, uh, provides the at-large elected representative, the mayor, a a slight advantage in uh, having an opportunity to uh, utilize those authorities in a way that moves the council more toward uh, what the mayor thinks is the uh, are the priorities that that the full city um, recognizes, and I think this is important, particularly when cities elect a, their council at large, or rather elect their council by district and their mayor at large. Uh, I really think that for the whole, the sake of the entire city. I think it's important that the mayor uh, can take a a more generalized, sort of at-large, full city uh, accountability and expectations, uh, um, and I think that that creates a city vision out of many parts rather than having a fragmented city vision built from competing district... uh, um, uh, politics and, and 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 priority differences. Uh, I covered some ground there. I, I'll pause here for a minute, and if you have any questions or areas that I've I've omitted, but uh, that's my general uh, uh, comments at the outset. Thank you, Mayor um, Dr. Newland. Thank you. This is Chet Newland. Can you hear me all right? Yes, it's it's difficult, but I can hear you. I wanted to follow up on your helpful discussion on the council. And, for example, you said that you have about a 99.9% consensus on budget. But it sounds like the council in Fresno continues to be split quite often. In short, that you use the veto at least as a threat to achieve a five-person majority. Uh, how often is the council still split, and over what sort of issues? Well, it, I, I actually, I, the, the, historically, the, 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 the so-called splits and the divisions and all, that's really, uh, it's really minor compared to the broad, overarching kinds of things. Uh, we did not argue about the priority of public safety. We did not argue about the importance of sound fiscal and financial management and administration with res- respect to the, 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 ex- the expenditures. Uh, we, we, we really didn't um, argue about the importance of infrastructure, the importance of you know, the pub- public works, uh, Certainly, there were times when we were, when allocation turned out to be somewhat politically or geographically a, 
a struggle, but you, but you worked through that, uh, generally speaking. Where the, where the splits usually came were, were uh, items that, that oftentimes would fall outside uh, of, it, for example, uh, uh, the question, we, we built a AAA baseball stadium. There were serious um, differences of opinion with respect to how that should be financed and what kind of risk the city ought to take, how much participation from the team and the private side and, and all of that. Yes, there were discussions about that. Uh, but I would point out that even in a big-picture item, the, the end result was a stadium plan that had to get to five votes because at the time I was raising some concerns. I said that there were certain elements that had to be there. And so I think because there was this uh, five-vote threshold, the council did, in fact, they were forced to come to uh, some consensus and some consideration of perhaps a, a minority point of view. Um, but I think that the, 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 the big picture items um, uh, were not uh, usually uh, fraught with that kind of, of, uh, of difficulty. The, the, and I think part of this has to do and I, it, with uh, things like, you know, where, where our freeways would go, where our, our street uh, improvements would go. How, because this region has a, uh, a council of governments, because it has, it's a self-help transportation county, it has a, a Measure C and a, a private sector uh, and elected a group of people who oversee those expenditures, what you end up getting then is uh, basically this larger transportation picture uh, with a lot of folks inputting into it. And so some of the important things like public safety, in, the public infrastructure, uh, public works, public parks, the, the important foundations of the city uh, did not have the kinds of uh, uh, controversies that uh, maybe one or two or three big items might have. May I follow up then? Since 2001, uh, no longer the mayor, but as a resident and leader in the city. Uh, to what extent do you see the council and the mayor working collaboratively? To what extent does one still see splits on the council? And then particularly, you stressed how you used the veto to help hold the council accountable. How does the council hold the mayor and the administration accountable? Well, I'm going to, I'll be as direct as I know how to be on this. I, I think if you're going to go down this path, there better be a very clear understanding between the difference between an executive responsibility and a legislative responsibility. Uh, that the rules change. The fact is that council members cannot see themselves as the mayor of a district. Uh, there, there can't be this, and that was the, that's, that I think is the, the problem that at large, uh, that the district elections create, uh, where there's almost a ward politics that sort of creeps in. And I think that the strong or the executive form 
of government uh, tilts uh, the controversies toward a, a higher city vision rather than a, than this sort of parochial district uh, uh, deal making, if you will. Uh, so, so what happens over time? What has happened over time is as the council got used to their role, as the uh, executive mayors uh, got used to their role, as budgets were created, as significant issues were debated and the like, the the splits that we saw under the old form gradually moved away from those splits, uh, four threes, for example, or five twos, uh, to uh, six ones or, 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 or seven zeros. I think the important thing in this big picture look is that once the system is in, and the system is given a little bit of leeway, a little lead time to, to, to be... Uh, uh, implemented, and then holding with it and sticking with it through the growing pains and watching it work down, down through a bit of time, um, what I've, my experience observing after being in it for eight years is that uh, it, it, the, 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 uh, the cleavages uh, tend to be moderated a bit. Uh, the expectations and the responsibilities of the executive is tempered with an understanding that power is to be used appropriately and with caution and with care, and that legislative oversight can't trip and, and, and move into sort of uh, executive second guessing, and that the legislative responsibility comes with with time, in other words, there are times when oversight is appropriate, there are times when hearings can take place, there are times when, uh, you know, uh, budgets are uh, reviewed and where the executive staff and the mayor are, are clearly questioned about how they built the budget, what the priorities mean, uh, the implementation ordinances and, and the like, those kinds of things. So. It's a long, long route to get to the answer to your question. I think given good people interested in the welfare of their city and a willingness to recognize the joint responsibilities and the several uh, uh, separated and enumerated, uh, enumerated differences between executive and legislative, uh, I think things get smoother. I think vetoes are used less. And I think that um, uh, four or three votes turn into five, two, turn into seven, zero. A process over time of learning and practicing the new form, I think, leads to better outcomes uh, rather, rather than, uh, than otherwise. Ms. Hastings. Mr. Patterson. Oh, excuse me. Ms. Hastings. <clears throat> Uh, sir, I was wondering if you could uh, comment. We've had both uh, former and current strong mayors express some regret at the fact that their specific strong mayor form of government did not place them uh, on the council or at a seat at the table with the council. I was wondering if you could comment on that specifically. Um, in our case, the, uh, the city manager that I appointed 
sat at the dais and was part of the proceedings and was uh, as much a representative there for purposes of discussion and 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 of uh, staff involvement uh, as as uh, the council members or 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 the mayor. So uh, my appointed manager was there. You know, every week and participating in in, in the process. Um, I think that uh, the appearance or the participation, in some respects, I think is, is sort of le- ought to be left up to the to the to sort of the style and the approach that the that the mayor wishes to take. Uh, on it, I, I was on the council uh, for four years. Was the presiding officer uh, by by the in the in the old charter, um, and I just I just have to be be frank and candid about it. I think there's an awful lot of uh, unnecessary uh, <laughs> uh, effort. I think there's a lot of of of, of, unne- of unnecessary time. Uh, I, I think that uh, the temptation for council members is to be uh, essentially sort of detail nitpicky uh, kind of kind of uh, second guessers, uh, uh, and I think uh, having the mayor uh, removed from from that environment, uh, I, I found it helpful. And like I said, the mayor chooses. I think when and how to participate. So, as an example, during budget times, I made it a point, and all subsequent mayors in Fresno have made it a point, to present the budget in, in chamber after consultation with council members and to be a part of and participate in the hearings, the, the, the question and answers, and, and the oversight and the accountability activities that, uh, that the council uh, now, I also made it a point, and subsequent mayors have made it a point in Fresno, to appear before the council and be a part of discussions or deliberations depending on the, the size, the scope, the detail of a particular matter. In other words, what I'm saying is I don't think it's necessary for the, the, the elected executive to be there every single week participating in every single nuanced discussion uh, in order to stay informed, in order to stay engaged with the council, in order to understand the, the, the variety of, of concerns that the district representation uh, provides. And I think the choice to have the city manager uh, in the forum uh, be there and, and at the dais along with the redevelopment agency head and the city attorney and the like um, ad- adequately presented day-to-day or week-to-week interaction um, but I don't think it was uh, it, it was it's necessary nor do I even think it would, it would be particularly uh, productive if one considers the executive form uh, a picture of how the governor interrelates with the with with the legislature, legislature. How 
an executive uh, would, would, would relate to uh, you know, a board of directors and, and shareholders, and, and how uh, the president, for example, would uh, relate to uh, the, the uh, Senate and Congress and all. I'm at the foundation of this needs to be an appreciation of enumerated authorities and separated powers and, 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 and all of that. If, if Sacramento voters are not comfortable with an executive elected at large uh, uh, with, with high degree of, of executive tools, hiring the city manager, the building budgets, uh, veto, um, line item, reconsideration uh, authority, th things of that nature, then don't even go down the, 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 the process. Uh, the, the, the ultimately, where the, this, this gets to, in my view, is an understanding of sort of the federalist model as it approaches uh, large, complex uh, uh, civic governance. So if you're not comfortable with those kinds of, of distinctions, authorities, and practices, uh, don't go down the path in the first place. Mr. Johnson. Uh, hello, uh, uh, Mayor Patterson. This is Grantland Johnson, a member of the committee. I have a, a number of questions, and they're short and simple. Uh, the first one, it, uh, it, is the council part-time or full-time? Council is full-time. Okay. Well, uh, the count, there's no real enumeration about whether it's full-time or part-time. Uh, there are some who are part-time, some who are full-time. The expectation is that they put in a lot, of, a lot of work, and most council members end up uh, full-time. There is not an explicit charter requirement that they all be full-time and, and, and punch, a, punch a time clock uh, for, for you know, 40 hours a week. Uh, but the expectation is that council members uh, uh, either put in the hours necessary uh, or uh, uh, move on with their private life. There is an expectation of uh, full-time and clear uh, uh, participation and a high expectation that council members be available to constituents uh, for, for uh, district issues uh, uh, on a on a on a regular uh, basis, you, you, you can't you can't run and hide and be uh, difficult to, to locate and have staff members uh, uh, do your work and have uh, the voters in our particular city uh, appreciate the work you're doing. You better be hands on and you better be accountable and you better be very very uh, quick uh, to respond, a answer the phone, resp <laughs> respond to folks. Uh, certainly good staff helps, but uh, council members who basically hide are council members who are short-term here. Well, that, that raises uh, the, 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 uh, the question of compensation. Uh, do they, for example, how are they compensated? And number two, uh, associated with that, uh, how is the compensation established? Who, what, what process is used? Well, the, 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 the there's a, there, I, I'm, I'm trying to do this from memory, and I, it may have changed. It might be somewhat beyond that, but I think uh, city council members, I think, get about, I want to say it's, it's, it's probably close to the 50, maybe 60,000 with, with the pay and, the, and, and benefits and, and uh, some expenses and the like. There is a, I mean, the council uh, ultimately sets uh, their, their pay, um, 
it is uh, uh, most of the time uh, put put off uh, to another election, meaning you're going to have to go through it. You can't vote your own pay raise. So if if the council, for example, gets a pay raise and, and the council approves it and the mayor signs off on it, uh, that pay raise doesn't happen until the next election. Okay. Uh, okay I, uh, I think that's about it. Okay. Who's, how is the mayor's compensation established? Mayor's compensation is determined the same way. Okay. Secondly, and, uh, um, it's basic. It's basically a salary resolution similar to the the resolutions that that pay the city manager, the other executives, and and the like. Okay. I assume the city manager is appointed by the mayor. Say again. I'm having a, a the city a manager. Uh, who appoints the city manager? The uh, the mayor. Uh, does the council have a role in confirming? No. Okay. Um, and, and I would and I would suggest that that would that would simply uh, it, it, there was look obviously there's going to be some efforts at toying with it over time. There were some council members who said, "Well, enough of this. Uh, we're gonna we want to uh, 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 approve the city manager. It's going to have to come." Look, you might as well not have an executive form of, of, of mayor uh, if you're going to say uh, suggest that the council ought to. Uh, 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 be able to to decide on a majority vote whether or not the the, the city manager that the mayor is a, is appointing. Uh, so I think wisely the city of Fresno, in its charter decision, said that the appointment of the city manager was the sole discretion of the mayor, uh, and that it was the city manager's responsibility, obviously, then to uh, direct and be the executive. And and the executive reach of the mayor does not go over the head of or around the city manager and into the department heads themselves. That is expressly forbidden in the charter. I think that is wise. Uh, and so the, so the mayor and the city manager have to maintain a good relationship. Obviously, the city manager is going to understand and appreciate the priorities and the expectations uh, that the mayor brings to, to, uh, to, to the uh, goals and objectives uh, that the city would like to, to reach. Um, but frankly, uh, again, my opinion is if you had a, a strong mayor form of government that uh, appointed the executive and then the council had to sign, you know, get, by a four or five vote, uh, you might as well just not have a, an executive form of government. You're basically putting the mayor into the same box and the city manager into the same box that they were in prior to the shift uh, in the form. Okay, I, I hear you and I feel you. Let me let me pursue uh, some clarification in terms of appointment authority of of staff. You 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 seem to indicate that um, department heads and sub department head staff were appointed are appointed by the city manager. Yes. Okay, city and they report to the city manager. manager. Is that correct? Yes. And I assume there is a formal civil service system in the yes. city. Okay. Yes. Um, but I, but let, I mean, let's be let's be clear on this though. <laughs> I, the, the fact that I'm elected, that the mayor, subsequent mayors have been elected under this form, had the appointed authority and utilized it to the city manager. Let's be very clear on this. The executive staff and the workforce of the city uh, naturally gravitate toward 
uh, a chain of command and an expectation of communication and an, and a, and an understanding of uh, goals, objectives, uh, the formulation of, of uh, spending plans, budgetary considerations that actualize those goals and objectives, I can tell you from my personal experience, four years of being on the council, uh, uh, I can tell you it was, it was it, I was one of seven. Uh, being on, now, now in the new form, it is very, very clear, not, not in a, um, not in a, a, a act, not in, not in a way that's, that's laid out by charter, but human beings being who they are and how they relate and how they work one with the other, the fact, and I said this earlier, there is a power shift when this happens. And that power shift is a clear line of expectation between the mayor, the city manager, the department heads, the, and the actualization of goals, objectives, and priorities. I do not have to uh, sit in an office and talk directly with the uh, public works department in order to make it clear the kind of public works priorities that I would like to see the city administration adhere to. I merely have to have that conversation with the city manager. So there is a power shift, and you need to be, people in Sacramento need to be comfortable with, and I will say this again, slightly moving the power shift in favor of the mayor. So, so let me see if I can if I understand this correctly, uh, and if I'm characterizing this, if I'm mischaracterizing what you just said, please correct me. Um, the, 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 you seem to suggest that uh, that you achieve the sort of notion of uh, alignment around policy and priorities um, based upon your communication dynamic between uh, the mayor and the city manager and the uh, city manager's top, top executive department heads that uh, I, I assume uh, your public posture and your public statements reinforce uh, the, the understanding, the collective understanding of your priorities uh, and preferences uh, in terms of policy. Is that correct? And I, I, I make it as clear a statement as, as I know how. Um, under the, an executive form, people know who's the boss, people know who's in charge, people know where the levers of power are. And if they're uncomfortable with that, then they're, they're uncomfortable with the system. The reality is that there is a direct chain of command, there is a clear-cut lines of authority, and there are budgetary spending priorities that back all of that up. Now, that's the flow of, of authority and relationship from the executive mayor through the, the, the uh, manager and to the to the executive staff and the workforce. Now, there is just as important a flow of information, relationships, etc., back the other way toward the council. Under our form, the mayor is expressly identified as the, the sort of the, the, the chief informer of the council, the individual that is looked at to bring not only private sector engagement to the the, the broader uh, policy issues, but uh, bring along and, and uh, uh, work with and uh, modify uh, with, with the council's participation. 
the, the, the strong mayor who would foolishly ignore a council will find out that that council won't pass the budgets, will, will be difficult uh, in, in oversight, will, will feel as if they're not getting information, they're sort of being sidelined. So what is important, I think, is that, yes, there is a power shift toward the mayor into that executive authority, but there also is a responsibility for the mayor back the other way, to council, to the various districts, and to the general population to be the communicator-in-chief, uh, the, 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 not just an executive with respect to ex executive types of sort of uh, you know, uh, command choices, or, uh, but to also uh, create those choices out of a clear and thorough understanding and appreciation of what the council is looking for in their districts, trying to meet those expectations as best one possibly can, and then at the end of the day, uh, putting the final finishing touches on it so that it generally has a much more uh, broad city approach than just simply being created out of, of you know, five, six uh, district concerns. It is a great system to mold and meld and a, a district focused uh, legislature into a city-wide vision. Okay, two quick questions, and I'll, I'll yield to my colleagues. I really appreciate your, your uh, elaborate responses. Um, uh, next, um, in terms of uh, the, the mayor's um, veto and appointment authority, uh, in terms of boards and commissions and uh, the budget, um, does the mayor have line item veto? I, I thought I heard you say that the mayor does. The, uh, the, 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 it's not as expre the, the expressly uh, in that sense. The, the, I, I, um, I could veto pieces of budgets. I could veto pieces of expenditures. Uh, I could veto uh, um, a lot of the times that that veto would be uh, merely a, a point of discussion. There would be occasionally, and I, I might, you know, in, I might in a, in a budget year, I, I could have uh, six or eight vetoes. Uh, but there's also a tool that we use called reconsideration. Uh, so sometimes the, the, the prudent mayor would, would look at a 6-1 vote and realize that a veto is futile, but a, a request for reconsideration and working it through a process again and bringing in more testimony and public participation and the like might, might have some, some effort. So, yes, there is a, 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 a dollar and cents based veto, but there is also a veto uh, on um, policies and, and, and uh, those ordinances and those kinds of things. So you have the, the, the veto reach to to an, an, an ordinance, uh, and uh, the appointed authority on boards and commissions uh, is that the mayor would uh, uh, present the uh, the individuals, and that the council would uh, essentially advise and consent. In terms of the airport, uh, is there a commission, and what role does the mayor and council play? If there is I'm such sorry. Would you say that again. Did you say airport? In terms of the airport, is there an airport commission 
our oversight board. The airport is uh, is owned by the city of Fresno. Uh huh. It is it is run by an airport's division uh, department, uh, transportation uh, department. There's uh, the city manager uh, appoints the executives at the at the airport and all the. the Fresno Yosemite is a city airport and is like any other division or department in the city. Okay, okay, thank you. Uh, finally, um, in terms of um, communicating with constituents and getting out the mayor's message, uh, do you, as part of your tool, tool, toolbox, do you use um, the sort of town hall format Meeting format, and do you, did you as mayor um, utilize it uh, jointly with the council members? Well, uh, I think, uh, first of all, whenever mayors ask my advice, <laughs> I, I basically say the way to stay in touch is to get out of City Hall and get into the neighborhoods and get, if you, you, you gotta be spending time at the supermarket, you gotta be spending time at the coffee shop. And I'm, I'm dead serious about this. The executive that puts, uh, uh, that, that, that hangs the shingle up at the, at, at the, at the downtown city hall and sees uh, only those, those in the bureaucracy, those in the political establishment, or those who are looking for something from the city, I think sets up uh, 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 to, to be isolated, sort of be cast in a, in a, in a, in a tower of, of uh, limited information. So I really think that the, 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 the wise mayor, and, and I attempted to do it, but I will tell you, I had to learn that lesson, and I had a number of friends and a number of close folks who basically came to me in about middle way through my first term and suggested that I was allowing myself to, to basically be held hostage at City Hall. So, number one, I think, look, I think you got to be out uh, on the local radio stations, on the local uh, television uh, uh, programs, the cable uh, systems, uh, having uh, discussion groups, uh, utilizing uh, all, all types of, uh, uh, I would use the term, popular and accessible methods of hearing from the constituency. Uh, one of the things I think we, we get uh, sort of kind of low to sleep in is that if we, ha if, you know, if we hold sort of a town hall and, or, a, or a council district meeting and, and 25 people show up, somehow we're communicating and somehow, uh, there, there, there is, uh, I actually think that, uh, that, that there is a much larger constituency there, literally uh, tens of thousands of people who participated by virtue of their vote. and. The mayor needs to reach to those people, be in their neighborhoods, be in it. So I spent, I, part of my learning curve uh, was, uh, boy, there's an executive responsibility to be there Monday through Friday and be the executive elected uh, uh, executive officer of the city. But there is, there is a social and civic and communication and people-oriented responsibility. And I think that is done less formalized and, and, and less done so by, by these expected norms, meaning, well, let's have a district meeting or let's have a, a forum here. What? Yes, those are very helpful, and those should be done. 
But I also think that uh, that communication has to be uh, – the mayor's got to just plain show up, listen, be available to people who can only access their government on a part-time basis and for issues that are singularly important to them, their neighborhoods and the like. It, it, I think that the temptation, especially for an executive in the executive form of government, is to be uh, put in this little, this little box over here in which you're hearing from the bureaucracy, the special interests and those who want something, and who have the wherewithal, the, the, the inside track and the practice of being able to access their, their elected representatives. My question then to the executive mayor of, of Sacramento, how are you finding out what people in the chicken pie shop on the corner feel about things? What about the, 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 the group of folks who meet uh, you know, every Tuesday morning at the, you know, the, the, the local uh, corner donut shop for a, for a discussion about things that go on? Uh, and uh, so uh, communicate. Uh, and I, I, yes, these are big organizations and, and, and the like. Uh, but uh, I, I just think the resp with the responsibility of the executive forum comes a huge responsibility to be accessible, transparent, open, and available uh, to folks at their time of choice. It's, it's like um, council meetings that are held on a working day instead of an evening. I, there really needs to be uh, careful thought about accessing government to people when they have the time in, in order to access their government. Uh, setting up a, 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 a town hall from 10 o'clock until 3, uh, you know, at a downtown conference center, it essentially sends a message to everybody who can't be there on a, on a weekday that they're not important. So uh, this, is, this is a a really important piece of being able to understand what the, 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 the uh, citizenry expected their government, understand it, and be able to articulate it to council members and to the executive staff of the city um, in, in these less than, than formalized methods. That's just a personal preference, but I think I learned the hard, the hard way um, that uh, you, you really run the risk of being isolated if, uh, if, if you do. Look, you've got to remember, I just think you've got to remember who sent you. And it's not, it's, it's, you know, it's not the unions. It's not the, it's, it's not the, uh, the, the, the Chamber of Commerce. It's, when everything is said and done, it's the voters of your community, and you've got to be willing uh, to be... Uh, interrupted, if you will, or in, in, in one way made uncomfortable by being out and around. Uh, I, I think mayors of big cities who travel in entourages with, uh, uh, with chauffeur-driven cars and police escorts are really missing uh, what good old-fashioned good old representation is all about. I know it's difficult, but when you talk about communication and, and all that, you bet. The town halls are important, and uh, you know, meeting days with the mayor and, and formalized opportunities to interact. But that's asking people to come to the turf and, the, and on the terms of the elected executive. I think a smart, prudent elected executive turns that around and moves his schedule 
and his timetable and his place as much as possible to the convenience of the constituency rather than the convenience of the elected official. Mr. LaFosse. Thank you, thank you uh, Mayor Patterson. And thank you, Mayor Patterson. I believe you indicated that the city manager serves at the pleasure of the mayor. I was wondering if you could tell me if city managers' tenures since the charter change have tended to coincide with the mayor's. I'm sorry, tended to what? Have the city manager, since the charter change, have the city managers' tenures tended to coincide with those of the mayor, as opposed to... Uh, um. Go ahead, sir. I would say yes, generally, uh, which means that uh, usually, usually this ends up being eight-year, eight-year tenure. Quite candidly, although I think we're look, we're we're only uh, uh, what uh, uh, two and a half mayors, then two and a half elections uh, away from the beginning of all of this. So we're, we're still figuring it out. Uh, there is a high probability that the, ex the, the existing city manager today that was the previous mayor city manager up about the middle or maybe at the b beginning of the second term will probably transition this new election and this new uh, mayor and probably be uh, the, the, the city manager. So uh, but but I, I understand the concern in, 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 in looking at this. Uh, the, the, I don't accept the notion that uh, city manager turnover is, is, uh, is a bad thing. Uh, even, even if uh, every four to eight years a mayor uh, brings, I don't, I don't know whether you have term limits up there, that may, that, that may or may not factor into it. We've got term limits. So I think the, the reality is, yes, there is a, a real interest by mayors to have an executive, uh, a, a city manager, that shares their ideas and their principles and the role of government and, and the scope its reach and how it's financed and those kinds of these broader, larger uh, uh, notions of governance. So, yes, I think you can expect that, 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 it, that it would transition, although... I don't think we're necessarily seeing that that's going to take place in Fresno two and a half mayors into the process. Let's put it this way. I think it's still up in the air to make a, a, a call. I think if you talk to the existing mayors here, I think they would tell you their preference would be uh, to, have, to have a city manager there. Um, this is a very thoughtful and very important distinctive, um appointment. And the quality of that individual, I think, is probably the most significant choice the mayor, the mayor makes. And I suspect that they're going to want to have people they trust and people who are um, interested and inclined to the kinds of things that, uh, that the mayor is interested in. Obviously, that does create the real question of <laughs> who's, going to, who, who's going to stand up to the mayor. Um, believe me, the voters will do it. Uh, the media will do it, the council will do it, and the prudent mayor, quite frankly, um, manages his city manager in prudent ways uh, in, in order for, for the public good and the broader interest of the community as it's 
articulated to the mayor. That's why I just think the mayor under an executive form really needs to have not only an executive life, but a, a civic life of engagement and communication and participation in seven days a week out, out in the, the, the marketplace of, of the constituency. Ms. Hastings. Um, it's my understanding that when Fresno adopted the uh, strong mayor a system that there was a some type of a sunset clause that the voters approved it a period of time later. I was wondering if you could clarify that and comment I'm on saying, it. I, 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 I'm, I'm having a hard time understanding. It's a little muffled. Could, would you mind repeating it? Was there a sunset clause when the city of Fresno transitioned to this form of government? No. No, what we had was an election in 93 uh, where a new mayor was elected. I, I, I beat the incumbent. The charter change was approved on the ballot, but was not actualized until the following election, which gave, and I think is a very prudent and wise move, so that the people of Fresno, the constituencies and the various folks interested in, in governance had an opportunity over a period of time to prepare for that transition. That's what we did in Fresno, and I think it's probably a fairly good model. I, I don't know that it would be necessarily the wisest thing to have a vote and an election simultaneously and then have this experiment in a hu huge transition and a huge form uh, change uh, without a period of time in order to actualize it and understand it and sort of practice it a little bit, at least in an anticipatory sense, uh, before it actually took place. And <laughs> it's important because then that next election, everybody knew the person who's going to get their vote was going to be the first executive uh, mayor uh, that, that, that Fresno ever had. So, that it, so the election in 93 focused on the process, the election four years later, not only focused on the process, but focused on the particular individual as well. Let me just say, what we've found, generally speaking, is that the expectation by the electorate is that the mayor be less of a political individual and more of an executive individual. One of the things you can see in Fresno is that council members on the legislative side who have attempted to run for the executive mayor position have had difficulty getting past the electorate. The electorate is looking for an executive, so usually somebody from the outside, somebody with managerial experience or somebody with real-world experience and business and executive type of decision-making tends to be favored by the electorate. Mayor, we've uh, kept you for almost, well, over an hour, I guess, and we appreciate your ability or, and your uh, willingness to stay with us and help us through many of these questions. We uh, uh, are going to probably close our uh, testimony at this point with uh, a... Can I, let me just, before we do it, I want to just say... Uh, something about uh, one, the, 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 there's some downsides, I think, with respect to what Fresno did, and I think it's very, very important. I actually three areas. One, 
the, the, the executive mayor does not have reach to land use decisions with respect to veto. I think that is a serious mistake that Fresno uh, uh, made. Uh, now, I can understand that there were a lot of interests, uh, mostly building interests, that simply did not want to have, uh, look, you have a good mayor, you might have, you know, they have a, somebody that uh, may didn't like us, <laughs> what we do, well, that could be very difficult. Uh, but I actually think it, it, it was a mistake to be so concerned about that, number one. Number two, uh, the, the city attorney in Fresno concluded that the client was the council, not the city and not the mayor. So I had a difficult time not having, essentially not having a lawyer. And I think that uh, there needs to be clear thought given to uh, uh, legal representation for the executive office, for the mayor, uh, as much as having legal representation in terms of a city attorney for uh, the, the city council. And uh, finally, I would say, um, I think the mayor needs to be uh, a, a, a part of uh, the redevelopment organization and to be, uh, 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 or at least the city manager, be a part of uh, redevelopment. Uh, um, the city council here in Fresno, in an, I think in an effort to, to uh, uh, be, be somewhat independent from the mayor's office and, and wishing and desiring to have authority over the redevelopment agency to the degree it could, essentially stripped uh, by uh, five votes with a, over my objection, stripped out uh, the city manager and the mayor from voice or vote on redevelopment matters. I think that was a mistake as well. So I think those three areas, I think the mayor and the city manager ought to still be engaged in redevelopment with voice and vote. I think that the mayor really does need uh, to have reach by veto to, to planning and land use. And I think also that uh, uh, that the mayor needs <laughs> mayor needs a lawyer, and it became very unclear uh, who was the client until the city manager basically said, uh, the, the city attorney basically said, "Look, my client's the you know the four people on the council who hire me." I think that was a mistake, and I think it was an oversight. Um, finally, I never thought it was was necessary to go and fix and change those kinds of things on my watch. I think we had a sort of a transition that needed to happen. We needed to practice this form, not take it back to the voters and try to tweak and mess with it. I decided to leave that for other days, and maybe in other mayors. Anyway, that's it. Thank you very much, Mayor. We appreciate your... Thank you. Uh, uh, and again, good luck, good luck on all of this, and uh, uh, be, be rooting for you from, from a few hundred miles away. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thank you. Good night. Good, good night. Night. Okay. Yeah. Okay. At this point, we have a couple of speakers on this item: um, Kate Lennox and Penny Taylor. Yeah, Miss Lennox, you have three minutes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, yes, I'm a resident. My name is Kate Lennox, and I'm a resident of East Sac, and I've lived in Sacramento for 25 years. And on 
Listening to our speakers, it's pretty clear that mayors like being strong mayors. Um, I've always felt that the city government in Sacramento was um, accessible and responsible to our city's neighborhoods, and our strong neighborhood groups have helped keep our city livable, even as we have grown. And I'm wary of any change to the charter that would make city government less responsive to the residents of the city. And concentrating power in the executive may make government more efficient, but it often results in a loss of, of citizen involvement. And it seems from his, uh, Mayor Fresno's comments that it would depend a great deal on the personality of the person elected as to how much he would really um, engage with the citizenry, because there's nothing written in the charter that would require him to do that. And um, just uh, my feelings right now, I would be opposed to any change that really reduces the power of our elected representatives, which I feel reduces the power of the people, and the checks and balances need to be in place. Um, I would also be opposed to any change that would eliminate the mayor's attendance at council meetings, because I believe the mayor should be accessible to the electorate and listen to their viewpoints on issues before the city. Um, if a strong mayor form of government is considered, I hope certain provisions would be included, uh, term limits, uh, limits on the number of appointees by the mayor, a clear delineation of the mayor and the council's roles with checks and balances and a transition period, and certainly no return to at-large council elections, which are inherently undemocratic uh, for financial and demographic reasons that cost more money to run an at-large election, and, and in at-large elections, certain neighborhoods are always targeted, perhaps because they have high voter propensity and other parts of the cities are neglected. And uh, so thank you. Those are my comments. Thank you very much, Ms. Lennox. Um, Ms. Taylor. Hi, good evening. I'm Penny Taylor, and I'm a resident of East Sacramento, District Council 3. And I'm just trying to get more involved and understand this issue more fully. So I'm here tonight, and I appreciated being able to listen to the phone calls from the previous mayors. Uh, I feel that our current city charter is in good shape, and I personally support a mayor sitting with a strong council. I'm not comfortable with this particular initiative that is before the voters. Um, I have reservations and concerns, as some of our, some of our other uh, committee members have expressed tonight about the checks and balances in terms of the executive mayor. Uh, this particular charter initiative that we're all uh, considering has the so-called strong mayor interfering with our civil service system and directly involved uh, with 500-plus positions, and that's a great concern to me. Uh, in fact, this whole issue, and to like the average voter like me, is taking time away from more pressing issues like funding our libraries and parks. You know, this is really taking a lot of time because I don't feel that this issue was really a grassroots movement type of thing. Um, it seemed to have funding from some very well-heeled interest groups, perhaps uh, in paying for the signature gathering. Um, 
because I didn't see a lot of just average folks out gathering signatures. I think they were paid for. Um, you know, I saw some actual irregularities in the collection of the signatures in grocery store parking lots and so on. And um, that really concerns me. So I think the public needs time to be educated on this issue. Um, and I respectfully ask that this committee request and that our council members vote to wait and place this initiative before the voters in 2012 during the, uh, the next mayoral election and not uh, any time before that. Thank you so much. Okay, um, I think that concludes item number three. We're on to uh, item number four, which is um, the item regarding the green waste disposal. Um, this is an item that we've discussed before, and I've, uh, in our last report to the City Council, indicated to the City Council that I believe this is a matter that really isn't, um, doesn't pertain to the charter itself since it's an initiated ordinance. So I think what we're planning to do here is listen to the city attorney's report, but hopefully uh, take a formal action in, I guess, eliminating this for further discussion. And then in our next report to the city council, I would intend to tell them of that action. Matt? Thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, committee members, um, I just want to uh, indicate to the chair that this is not so much a report as a very brief uh, recitation of kind of where we have been before and discussions we have previously had. You will recall that the resolution which created this committee put as one of the charges to the committee a uh, discussion of green waste disposal um, and recommendations back to the council. As you recall from my first uh, introduction to all of you, I at that point clarified that in fact the green waste disposal issue which Sacramentans so love is actually not part of the charter. It is an urban myth. It is in fact an ordinance that was enacted by the voters back in the late 70s. And so I've just put up on the screen for you very simply the measure that was uh, before the uh, voters back in the late 70s, which created an ordinance which sets forth the green waste disposal system we currently have today. And you'll see Section 2 provides that um, this ordinance, which was adopted by the people, um, can only be changed uh, by a vote of the majority of the electors at another municipal election, and it is not in the charter. So with that very brief report, I will leave it for your discussion, and I'll be here for any questions. Any members of the committee have a, uh, Mr. Lofaso? <laughs> Is a motion in order, Mr. Chair? Yes, I think I, so. I would move, Mr. Chair, that the, this committee request the City Council to eliminate the green waste issue from our charge. I second. Thank you. Uh, all in favor? Aye. Opposed? Okay, so be it, and I will uh, inform the council that because of those items that were outlined by the city attorney in our previous discussion that we 
don't want to do that anymore. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we have a speaker on this issue. Probably shouldn't have taken action, by the way. But anyway, uh, Mr. Bottas. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, Rick Bettis, and uh, it's fine that you took the action because I agree with it. However, uh, it is my feeling that this is an important issue, and when you convey your decision to the council, you should indicate that it is something they, they should address. Uh, I've been involved in uh, several discussions, numerous discussions on this with a couple of council members as well as staff, and um, I think it is time for a change that would require containerization of green waste. It's a um, money problem. Uh, the Solid Waste Division has determined that there would be significant savings through containerization. Uh, it's a water quality concern. The State uh, Water Quality Control Board uh, is looking at it with uh, concern that uh, there is a non-point source pollution problem with uh, drainage running through the green waste, and it is a uh, traffic, pedestrian, and bike safety problems. So I would hope that I agree with your decision. It's not part of the channel uh, charter, but uh, I would hope that you indicate that uh, you feel there is some importance that the, the council need to needs to address. So thank you. I will do that. Thank you very much, Mr. Potts. Appreciate it. Members, we're on to item five, um, miscellaneous charter updates. Now, as you recall, um, in accordance with our decision last meeting, um, in which we adopted our decision-making process. This would be the first meeting in which we discuss these update, cleanup, technical, whatever items of the charter. And then theoretically, the committee would then provide direction to the staff. The staff would then uh, prepare a recommended uh, recommendation or resolution or whatever the proper document is back to the committee at our next meeting for a, a formal vote. And as you recall, we have to have seven of the 11 members approve any final recommendation before it can be taken to the city council. So with that, and I believe, uh, Matt, did you get copies of the charter? We have, we have copies of the charter for those who are interested in that. I do have a copy available here, but I have brought the uh, relevant provisions and I'll we'll place them up on the screen. Okay. The ones that I'm going to talk about. All right. Thank you. Please proceed. Yes, Mr. Chair and members of the committee, uh, Matt Riak with the City Attorney's Office once again. Uh, I want to make a, a statement at the outset before my presentation here. Uh, I am going to discuss three items and three items only with you this evening, which are technical cleanup items. Um, which I believe to be changes that would be simply modifying the charter to be consistent with state law or consistent with its own terms. And I've not looked and not making any um, comment tonight or recommendation on to other parts of the charter that might need some change because of process that's changed in the city or anything else because I think that ventures into policy. So this is kind of dry stuff I'm going to give to you tonight. It's really just legal stuff because that's my only role here. There's three items. The first one, as you recall, I mentioned at my first discussion with you, with you is that Section 11 of the Charter provides that in the second sentence there, once again, 
another one of the uh, things we hold sacrosanct in Sacramento. No water meters shall ever be attached to residential water service pipes. As a practical matter, that provision has no more force and effect as over the series of the last uh, 18 years, the state um, legislature has effectively preempted that provision starting in 1991, effective in 1992, new development was required to install water meters um, for residences. So that began post-1992. Pre-1992, residences were not subject to that law, but back in 2004, the governor signed AB 2572, which effectively, effectively mandated that all urban service providers um, have residential water meters um, through a process taking many years and the outside date now is 2025 for the installation of those meters and there's a, both a carrot and stick to make sure that everyone gets that accomplished. So as a practical matter, um, the second sentence of Section 11 has been completely preempted by um, state law and in many ways, many residents have already gone towards water metering, uh, actually effective January 1, 2010, uh, many residents will be receiving metered water rates. So that's the first issue. Second, you may recall that um, during my meeting, I had mentioned that there are certain parts of the charter which by their own terms are no longer applicable. And one of them, oh, I'll go back up here, is Article 12, Board of Education. While state law does provide that charter cities um, can have in their charters the method for the election uh, of education board members, and this would be appropriate to have in the charter under the state constitution. By its own terms, this article um, ceased to have any force and effect almost 30 years ago. Uh, Section 173 of the charter provides that the entirety of Article 12 um, is no longer in force and effect, and so it serves no purpose within the charter any longer. Finally, as you recall from the presentation by Assistant City Clerk Stephanie Mizuno back on July 2nd, the city's election process, let me, one second here. Oh, <clears throat> currently under the charter, under the uh, elections article, Article 10, Section 153 provides the date upon which elected officials take office and you'll see that it's the fourth Tuesday following the first Monday in the month of November, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, unfortunately, recent events uh, are well known to everybody that Mayor Johnson, um, because of the um, massive amount of uh, electorate that showed out for the presidential election, the canvassing of the votes took longer than usual, and therefore Mayor Johnson was not able to be sworn in on the same date as the uh, council members who were voted in earlier during the year uh, at the end of November. And so there was some discussion back in July, on July 2nd by Ms. Mizuno, discussing how it would be good 
in some respects to make sure that the city's process conforms to the state process and the state uh, process now does allow for a 28-day canvas period. Thereafter, um, the uh, elections officer reports to this city council or the city council of Sacramento the uh, election results at the city council's next regular meeting, at which time the city council um, certifies the votes and the new members are installed as elected members of the council. So um, the suggestion would be to modify section 153 to conform to current state law rather than allowing for um, uh, this discrepancy between the charter and when elected officers are to be installed under state law. So I'm available for questions. Matt, were there any other provisions in the 64-page document that you went through, the civil service provisions, the terms and conditions of employment, all of these provisions that were outdated, uh, antiquated, or could use some modernization? I think that's a, a policy discussion as to what is modernization. Um, I, I will note that the only other provision which arguably could be adjusted for modernization is the election section which governs um, when there was a change in the election process back in the early 90s. Well, I don't know when the election was, but late 80s, early 90s, when um, council members' terms were def more specifically defined for districts 1, 3, 5, and 7, 2, 4, 6, and 8. There's time dates referenced in that section. Beginning in the year 1994, these shall be the terms. Um, arguably, that language is no longer needed because we're way past that point, but I'm not sure it needs changing because it sets important reference dates so we can determine what the terms are for the respective districts. Since we know that the terms are four years each, you just go back to 1994 or whatever year they were, that person was elected and add four every year to know that that's their term. Uh, other than that, I, uh, it was not my intent to look for anything out uh, other than those technical changes. The things I think to which you're referring, Mr. Chair, are things I think are more in the purview of those persons who believe that there should be policy changes to match maybe modern life. Um, I do note there are some typo changes, but I didn't go into that. Okay. Mr. Murphy. Just a quick, just a quick question. Um, those are part of the policy consideration we could take up if we want to, I presume, under our resolution. I understand why Matt doesn't want to get into it. I just want to make sure he's yeah. deferring to us. Yes, I'm only these these yeah. three things I limited myself to are only those things which are technical legal changes, Correct. and I will not. I, I don't want to comment on anything beyond that. Thank you. Yeah, I think we did discuss the issue of um, terms and conditions of employment that are in the charter. I don't know the uh, longevity pay and things like that that seem a little strange given the posture we're in with meet and confer, but um, to be honest, I, I don't think the council wants us to start messing around in those kinds of items, so I, I think we talked about that before, but anyway. Uh, Mr. LaFosso. 
I'll just get in the technical nitty-gritty. Uh, Mr. Johnson made a comment about the third rail of Sacramento politics, and I think that's the water meters. So just to be clear, um, if we struck the second sentence, we really wouldn't be changing anything that the city's already doing to fulfill the recent legislation to meet the timelines to install water meters throughout the city. The city is already engaged in a process to uh, get everyone metered over an extended period of time. Obviously, the big hang-up is financing and getting the money to do it. And uh, currently, um, there is a scheduled phase, phased allocation of meters among the different neighborhoods, but it is well, already well along the way. Um, the city council has already recognized that that is such, and back in 2005, late 2005, adopted an ordinance that in its findings pretty much said, this is what's happening and we're going to live with it, and we've essentially been preempted, so we need to move forward with this. Um, it is well along its way. Thanks. Just wanted to clarify that for yeah. the record. Just one each question and the other two items. Do I understand correctly, you made reference to Article 12, that the I'm revealing my ignorance about education organization. The Sacramento City Unified School District and its Board of Education are creatures of state statute. What, what, what creates the district if that moribund provision in the charter no longer does? The California Constitution provides the legislature has the power to establish districts within the state. But it further provides that charter cities can establish the methodology for electing the members to the Board of Education. However, for whatever reason, the voters uh, in Sacramento decided to put in the internal terms of Article 12 a sunset provision for, for, for doing so. And so it's, Article 12 has no more actual effect by its own terms. Other charter oh. cities do have such, you know, do retain within them. For example, um, you'll recall um, Mayor Villaraigosa's attempt to do a lot of things with the LA Unified School District. LA has within its charter a provision for the election of its of its um, uh, the school board members, but it got into a little bit of messy fight. Anyways, not relevant here, but just interesting. Yeah, I, I missed the sunset. My apologies. Yeah. Um, last question to to uh, on the on article excuse me section 153. What does it mean to conform to state standards? I just when would the mayor and the council take office? Well, that would be a subject for discussion. I, I, I guess the recommendation of this committee could be recommending a date upon which the uh, elected official would take office. For example, instead of the, the way it's described there, it could be some fourth Tuesday in December or third Tuesday in December or some other date. How it currently is presented in state law is that there's essentially a 28-day canvas period post-election for the elections official to get all the votes counted and then bring that information back, present it to the council at their next next regular meeting. And as you know, this city council meets on Tuesdays. So, you know, you've got this extended period. Um, you've got this time lag of presenting information and getting the votes to the council and then having the council act upon those votes, certify, receive and certify the count, and then install those members as members of the body. And so the suggestion would be to conform to state law would just be to push out the time in 153 a little longer to ensure that the date hasn't passed, as with Mayor Johnson, 
before before the the votes were actually finally tallied. I, I follow. The, the, the state law in question is the 28-day canvas, not any state law dictating terms. That, now I understand that. E yes. Yeah. Thank you. Correct. Any other questions at this point? Okay. What's the sense of the committee? You mean on these three items? Yes. Or any other technical cleanup items that you wish to raise? I would ask to support the professional recommendation. Okay. So I will move that if you wish. Well, I'd, uh, what we want to do is direct the staff to prepare a formal recommendation that would be approved at our meeting next time. And I believe, if I understand the sense of the committee, we agree with the report of the city attorney who has set forth uh, several provisions that he has articulated that are either uh, outdated, uh, been superseded, or preempted in some way that are no longer relevant for charter purposes. And if the sense of the committee is that they agree with him, then we will ask uh, Patty and, and Mark to prepare a uh, report and recommendation uh, formalizing that for adoption at our next meeting. Is that acceptable to the committee? Okay. Yes, sir. If I understand what you're saying, um, would there still be opportunity down the road if the committee wanted to revisit some of these possible cleanups? Oh, sure. This is this would be a tentative decision. So this doesn't this wouldn't foreclose no. that possibility. No, okay. no. That, the, this is the idea here. We are uh, proceeding on tentative decisions. Um, and it would be understood that if by some idea somebody came up with another technical cleanup matter that we could all agree on, we'd just add that to the list. Sure. Sure. Yeah, all right. Mr. Tapio. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, just, I guess, to finish a thought that I had at the last meeting before I was cut off, but I'm trying to understand, uh, I guess, the uh, reasoning to uh, take up these technical charter amendments at this point. Um, and I'm just, I'm still trying to think about if that's the best way to, to do this. Um, the council has given us some specific direction on some specific things that they want us to look at. And they have certainly given us the authority to review the entire charter. And I, I understand that. But I don't think they can convene this group to make technical recommendations to the council. And the city attorney can certainly make those recommendations to the council directly, or the council could come up with those recommendations on their own and put them on the council or on the ballot without a recommendation. So um, I guess the thought that just kind of keeps running around my mind is: should we? Um, be working instead on some of the specific issues that the council has asked us to look at instead of kind of this stuff on the periphery. We'll be dealing with the um, issue of governance coming next meeting. Yeah. Anything else?
Okay, we have some. Uh... Oh yes, um, is is there a motion? Yes, uh, I believe. Well, if, if, if Mr. Mr. Newland wanted to take your rephrasing as a motion, or you made the motion, or <laughs> all in favor? Okay, all opposed. Okay, let's move on. Uh, do we have any? Uh, we're on item six, members. Um, Patty, are you going to take this item? I'm not sure exactly. I thought we had this last time. Is this a? Well, last time what you did was sort of recap the community meetings that you held in July. If you remember, as part of your outreach strategy, uh, you used those meetings with an emphasis on education and information. And um, we're already thinking about getting ready for the meetings that we have scheduled right now in September because oh. you're going to make another round of meetings in September, the first one being on September 9th. And um, what w I thought would be helpful is I've asked Vincine Jones, who's our Director of Neighborhood Services for the city. She's the one responsible for community outreach and a liaison with the community. Um, to talk a little bit about what she's hearing in the community, I know, I think there's a little frustration that maybe um, we're not reaching out enough or we're not engaging enough. And so I'll, we've asked her to be here, and then we thought with that kind of input, then you could provide direction to us. We could start framing what would the format be for the September meetings, what kind of information um, and dialogue would you like to have in the community for those meetings if we continue with those. Okay, the other issue that I'd like to talk about on mm -hmm. this is that we are now getting um, invitations uh, to speak at various groups in the community. Um, Mr. Johnson and I, for example, were on Capital Public Radio today, having been invited. Um, I was, I'm invited to speak at the League of Women Voters on Saturday about the progress of the Charter Commission committee um, and I imagine other committee members are getting invitations also so my sense is that that that's fine because it's more outreach is is positive but I think what would be helpful is if we um, at the meetings following your presentations if maybe you could communicate to the other members that you've made these presentations and so on, just to make sure everybody is up to speed on various items. Um, I think that's how it would work, because I don't think there's any way to manage that process. People just call you up and ask you to come on. I don't know how they picked Grantland and myself this morning, but they did, so we were there. But um, in any event, um, we could put that as like a report out item okay. at the beginning of the meeting, as just like we have staff comment. Maybe we could add an item at the beginning of report out by committee members, and then that would be your opportunity to talk about any communications you may have had. Okay. Does or that work? Something okay. like that. Is that, uh, Joanne, you're the kind of expert here. Do you, is that, okay. <laughs> okay. With that, I'd like to have Vincent come up and okay. address the committee. Dr. Newland, did you have something? I simply want to note that at our last CRC meeting, we recommended, I think, that we should have more time for people who show up at the neighborhood meetings 
to present their views and to talk back and forth. So if at all possible, we need to do that. The staff sitting here has done a good job at those meetings, but a half hour is not long enough for the people who show up. Good evening. I'm Vincent Jones. I am uh, your Director of Neighborhood Services. Um, I um, have done a lot of outreach. It's, it's a little difficult um, sometimes to get, uh, we think, to get a community moving on such an important issue unless there is actually some substance, some really, some meat. Uh, and that's what I've been hearing. Uh, they ask questions, where are you on this? What are we going to be doing? What are our options? So I, I think uh, it's not the fact that you have not and we have not been doing the outreach that you're looking for uh, and you're not getting the, the, the room filled like you would like. It's uh, you're really kind of getting your feet wet and, and getting things in order, but they're going to be looking for options, something that they can spar with you with. Um, uh, have different opinions on. Um, so they're looking for some direction from you. Uh, I've, I go to a, a lot of neighborhood association meetings. Uh, I have put out the brochure that you um, uh, have put together. It's wonderful. It has the meetings on it. And I've encouraged uh, a lot of folks to call and ask maybe to come to the association meetings. Because sometimes they don't want to come to two or three meetings. Uh, and they want you to come to them. Um, one of the questions, um, Mr. Edgar, that they asked is, uh, you might have asked, because you don't know why they picked you, probably because of your former life, you and Mr. Johnson. So um, radios and a lot of people have a tendency to ask you in particular because they're familiar with you and they know you. So you'll find that your community that you are more familiar with will be asking other members of the committee to do the same, I think. Um, I think we have done a very good job. We, we, I think you are, um, are getting more folks, although it doesn't seem like a lot, but you have a lot of representative folks sitting in your audience that represent and go back and, and fill and give information uh, to your community and to their members. So y you will, and I feel, um, well, once you really start getting into um, the meat of it, the heart of what you're supposed to be doing, I think you'll, you'll see um, what's going on um, and that you'll find more representation. Uh, just a little, to give you a little information about what we've done through our office for you. We um, got a letter from the, um, manage, the city manager's office in helping um, uh, Mr. Presswich and uh, Ms. Bishuat uh, send a letter out to all the neighborhood associations asking for comments. But when I called a few folks because um, they weren't get, getting the comments or any response like we thought, they said, well, what were we going to comment on? So again, I will point out to you that they're looking for some options. They're looking for some options from you. Um, we put the information out at our open house. We had 210 um, members of the community from all walks of the community come through last Thursday. Uh, and we made sure that this was in the packet um, and encouraged them that um, these is, this is new information for you, maybe a new uh, commission that you might want to take a look at or some interest, uh, things that may be of interest to you, especially coming up with the importance of the charter. Um, we also uh, have your link to your website on neighborhood services link to our website. So we have um, had 41,000 hits um, this last month, uh, actually the month previous. And uh, so we linked you in so 
people are looking for us for information, so we've got that uh, and added you in on that particular um, part of our um, website. Um, we are all in the community, as you know, seven days a week most of the time uh, at the large events. So we're pushing out the information to make sure that everybody knows that there is a charter commission. And if they ask questions, um, we try to let them know what your, your role is. But again, I say to you, um, they're looking for some substance. And, and I really think that as we move on and you're beginning to get to that point, that you'll see much more participation from the community. Any questions that thank you, Vincene? Uh, Mr. Lofaso. Um, over here. Hi. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. um, hearing your comments about the neighborhood associations wanting something to react to, mm -hmm. do you have any advice for us on, I mean, backing up a second, since by September we expect to have some preliminary decisions on pretty heart of the matter issues, I hope. Mm -hmm. any, any advice for us on, on format or approach to to then put that out to the general public or, or these groups to, to, to elicit comment? Well, one of the things that at the neighborhood advisory group meeting, um, Ms. Fuller, I think you made the presentation, um, I was reminded by one of my staff members when I asked for was there any comments, uh, and um, he reminded me that they thought that the matrix needed to be made much simpler. And I, I don't know, I guess maybe it was maybe just a little... Uh, I'm not sure, hard to read. I mean, I'm used to it, but they asked for a simpler matrix. So um, that might be something that helps folks. You have the matrix of Sacramento, Albuquerque, as far as how it goes. And I think it, it may be a little, if you could devise or if you want to look at it, try to simplify that. Um, that was something that was brought up and I thought was um, uh, pretty interesting. So um, that might be something you may try to do. Um, I think one of the, the other um, decisions or, or questions in everyone's mind is that um, um, is this proposal, and I, I think they're a little confused on maybe the mayor's proposal and as to what your proposal may be. I think that is really uh, a, big, a, a big question mark. Yeah, now, we need to be clear about that. We were specifically told you know, not to critique mm -hmm. or comment on on the proposal that's on the table, and mm -hmm. we will not be submitting our report. Will not be submitting a competing measure. I understand that. Yeah. Okay. But the community it, may not understand. No, no, that. I understand that. Right. I understand right. that. It, and, that. And that might be something that that you need to say up front. Um, yeah. Just let them know, you know, when you, if they ask them those questions, that that's not what your charge is and that's not what you're doing. Right. Mm -hmm. Joanne. In reference to that, I, I, I know that what, what people are looking for in terms of that matrix is um, what the existing um, <clears throat> situation is now right. in contrast to the initiative. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that would be within um, the, the caution that you just gave us to include just the, the points, you know, of mm -hmm. the initiative versus what it is now versus a few, maybe a, simple, a simplified number of cities, something like that. Yeah. I don't know if that's um, within the yeah. scope. Yeah, I, I think that would be out of bounds because I think if you tried to put up 
what what the, what it means. What you're going to get into subjective interpretation, and it's going to be slanted. I think what you do is re refer to the city attorney's report, which outlines, I think, in a fairly objective way. People are willing to read it. Yeah, uh, yeah that's another question. But I mean, really, in, in terms of, of detail and, and so on, it, it goes very objectively through that and lays it out. No uh, problem. These are just the comments that I hear. Yeah. Mr. Aker, um, one idea we discussed after, I think, the first community meeting down in Meadowview was the confusion about a strong mayor. And I think as the committee has found out, it's, that's very nuanced, what mm -hmm. that means. And so one thought we talked about is there's almost like a spectrum that we could do. We could take the benchmark cities, take the matrix information like Vincine talked about, and maybe put that in sort of a spectrum of you have Sacramento in, in one place on the spectrum and then maybe the executive mayor uh, with full responsibilities and authorities at this end. And then what are the nuances in between and what are those kinds of authorities in between so that people can kind of see it as a, a spectrum of uh, authorities, if you want to call it that. Because they, I think they think it's either strong or it's weak, and um, it, it's not, I don't think it's that black and white. Remember that discussion mm -hmm. we had? Mm -hmm. um, so that's something we could even take one item off of here and bring that to you to kind of look at what that might look like, just as a public information and discussion tool that we could bring to those meetings. Ms. Hastings. Um, I find myself going back to something I think I said several months ago, which is to engage a dialogue with the community. I mean, when I start an interview with someone, I ask a series of questions. And in answering those questions, I understand sort of where the person is and how they feel about things. So I'm just sat here in the last couple of minutes and came up with some, uh, just a couple of questions here. Should the city adopt term limits for the mayor and for the council? Should the city council be a full or part-time position? Are you in favor of an elected executive mayor and the resultant shift in power? Should the mayor sit with the city council? So, you know, I just, I think you've got, we've got to, po I think we have to ask questions in order to get answers back. Right now, they don't know what to say because they don't really understand what the questions are. Mr. Johnson. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm you know, this notion of the slippery slope is real. At the same time, you can be so antiseptic and so neutral that you're totally irrelevant and useless. And I think that that's the danger, no offense, Mr. Chair, um, of us taking so literally the council guidance that we are, that we are basically of little practical value. Um, you know, to the discussion, added to the discussion. I mean, I, I you know, I, I asked a series of questions because uh, my sense as, uh, as a voter, I was interested, it, it clarified for me, what are we talking about? What, is it, what does a strong mayor mean? What does a weak, a, you know, a, 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 a strong city manager mean? What, what does a weak council mean practically, in a practical sense? Mm -hmm. uh, people don't basically have the luxury, like many of us, to, to read the textbooks, you know. Um, 
they fundamentally want to know in practical terms what does it mean. I mean, you know, in this country, one of the things, one of the mistakes we've made is that we have basically made people politically illiterate, illiterate in many ways. I mean, I was just looking at, to listen to the news today and, you know, laughing. You know, people didn't know that Mombasa wasn't part of Kenya at the time, but they said it was. And I remember sitting in college with, with my Kenyan classmates talking about, you know, uh, Jomo Kenyatta and, 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 you know, the revolution, you know, for, you know, for liberation in, in, in Kenya. And, you know, the fact that most people, I couldn't have that conversation once I left that classroom with most people, you know. Um, I think that we have to basically uh, run the risk of making some people discomfort, you know, uncomfortable and uh, nervous and um, even upset because they don't like the fact that the level of us may reach a consensus and say this interpretation makes sense. You know, uh, you know, uh, when I think of Bloomberg in New York and I think about New York City um, and the history of New York City or Chicago or Philadelphia or Boston, um, uh, certain images are conjured in my mind. And so when I think of the mayor and the role of those mayors historically, certain images are conjured up in my mind, whether or not they, they comport with reality. But the fact of the matter is that I'm not alone in that regard. I mean, you know, people basically imagine. I mean, we, we think about stuff and we act upon it based upon what's in our heads, not always what, what necessarily is existing in material reality. And so it seems to me that from the standpoint of voter education, just state the facts. You know, let's be Jack Webb. Say, okay, these are the facts, you know. Uh, if, if, if this proposition is passed, here's what will happen. You know, you don't have to talk about how it's going to be used beyond that or get, 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 get subjective, but you can say this authority is now granted in this fashion. This authority no longer exists in this fashion. Those are objective facts, okay? And for us not least to go there, then I guess the question becomes why does this body exist and what purpose does it serve and does it add any real value to the civic discussion. No, I, and I would say probably not if we took it literally that, that way. Yeah, I, I, I don't mean to say not answer factual questions. Obviously, I think that's important. And I've tried to do that as much as I can. But if you get a question out there that says, um, we think that the current initiative places too much power in the mayor's office, do you agree with that? Then you start to get down that what you call the slippery slope. No, and you don't dial the stupid button. <laughs> what you do is you say, you know, I have my thoughts, but as a member of the charter committee and in this role, I ought not be a piney. Yes. That's, that's, I mean, cause, yeah. because then you can't be an honest interpreter. You can't be an honest broker, if you will. You can't be a, a, a square shooter. You know, I mean, all of us have predisposed notions and ideas and opinions. But when we serve in this body, you know, we're out representing, you know, we're out in good faith talking to the public. We ought not take it, we ought not distort our roles 
in terms of what we've been asked to perform by the council on this body. We ought to have the intelligence enough, and I think I'm impressed with the intelligence of, of the, the ten of you. I don't think you would make that kind of faux pas, that kind of a faux pas. I think you would understand, hey, you know, I can't sit here, agree or disagree with you. Because if I agree with you, then there's probably someone right across the room who disagrees with that. And then what do you have? You know, they, they disagree anyway. Let them have that discussion between themselves as voters. We get our shot when we go to the voting, you know, to, to the uh, polling place. Right. Or we send it in by mail or whatever, you know. <laughs> right. I, I was interested in our testimony tonight, by the way, on, on uh, that um, Mr. Uh, Chavez, Chavez um, mayor from Albuquerque, indicated that he felt, as a strong mayor, that he should sit with the city council and deliberate. I thought in the whole issue, for me, the big issue is should the legislative body be divided from the executive body, not whether, a council, uh, whether the mayor ought to be a strong mayor or a weak mayor. Mayor can be strong or weak in any form. I mean, you can make them strong in any form. And the question is whether you separate the two executive from the legislative function. That's the issue, I think. And um, I was interested in, in his perspective on that. I, I thought that was intriguing. Also, I, I, I guess I didn't realize in Fresno the mayor actually re appoints very few people, doesn't he? One. One person? Is that right? And that the city manager is protected by the charter to appoint and supervise the rest of the staff. That's like uh, school districts. Is it? The code. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Not that, interference clause. That, to me, doesn't sound like a very strong mayor to me, but in, in sense of appointment power. But anyway, so the, Ms. Hastings. I wanted to follow up on the, the discussion about the strong mayor discussion as part of our outreach. And um, I, I, I think it's important that we understand the strong mayor proposal because just in conversations I've had with people, really, they don't understand the details of it. And I think when the fact that it becomes effective almost immediately upon passage, I think it's important that we're able to be conversant in that so that we can uh, provide an education that isn't necessarily going to be put out there. How would that work, Cecily? I mean, if you had, say, the election were to take place in 2010 mm -hmm. and it became effective immediately, how do you have primaries? How do you do the redistricting for the District 9? How, how does that all work? Well, I agree. That's a big problem. But the very fact that people don't understand that the, the strong mayor ballot initiative becomes effective immediately and, and, the, and the concerns that that brings up. Well, the mayor of Fresno brought up a good point. The, what they did in Fresno was have a vote on the issue, and then four years later it became, uh, it was implemented. I agree. I thought that was 
you know, an excellent way of approaching that and making it about the one election about the process and this government structure and a subsequent election down the line about the person for that. Matt, in your work, have you, um, you know, did a, have you done a timeline of how these things, once the election occurs, how it's implemented, how it works exactly? I'm going to make a comment before I make that comment. We, we need to be careful we don't drift too far down the oh, substantive discussion I road. I but uh, if you look back to the discussion that during the presentation to Council back in February, there was some uh, mention about the uh, implementation dates for L.A., San Diego, and Fresno, as well as Oakland. But, yeah, but we can provide that back, I guess, if you want further information. Well, I was thinking... But just to the extent we're not drifting this conversation beyond where it was intended to be, under agenda yeah. item six, I, I was I was thinking not so much San Diego or Fresno or whatever. I was thinking about the initiatives that's on the table right now. How, how have you prepared a timeline of how that would work? Uh, no, I have not, um, Mr. Chair. But there is a the state law provides the mechanisms for finalizing um, charter amendments, and there's a process by which the city council has to certify the vote. And then the um, city attorney is obligated to present a report to the Secretary of State. And upon filing with the Secretary of State, that's when the charter amendments become effective. So there's a slight delay. I mean, it's a, it's a brief period of time before the actual date of the uh, uh, charter amendment would take effect. It's in all, there's no definitive date, but it, it is a certain amount of, I guess we'll call bureaucracy time that's involved before it takes effect. Yeah, there's a lot of bureaucracy time. My point is, isn't so much about that, but that when that point comes up in discussion or the point is made that the implementation, you know, that's another one of these questions, is, is, is the implementation issue, we define a, a contrast between a, a proposal, that, the Strong Mirror Initiative, that makes it become effective rather quickly with passage versus bringing up the option of what other cities have done, like Fresno. I mean, it becomes a point for us to discuss the implementation of a change in the city government mm -hmm. and bring up these are what other cities done, have done in contrast to what the Strong Mayor Initiative does. It's just a different way of approaching it, and it becomes another discussion point. Sure. Okay. Ms. Fuller. I wanted to link to the, the good recommendation from the folks that have been out there talking to the neighborhood councils who are people that are interested in politics and interested in the city and, you know, want to learn more. Um, so I, I want to bring up again, um, after these comments, the, uh, you know, what seems advisable is to either get a list of uh, questions that people could react to as um, you've suggested or, or, and also I, you know, I'm, I'm not clear why you can't make a, another column that would be the initiative that would just answer these questions um, you know, according to what's in the initiative and what's right now, I, I don't see why that's not um, practical or why and it would be subjective. Take the items from the city attorney's report and, and just fill plug in them the box. into this, right. this matrix. That mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and if the dispute, just say there's dispute. 
it's unclear, you know. That's expiring right there. Yeah, I think that would be pretty easy for us to do. We can add that and bring it to you at the next meeting to take a look at. Okay. Mr. LaFosso. I was going to go back to giving the public something to react to in September. Is, is staff is staff comfortable, is staff clear, I don't know the right way to phrase it, with how to combine that with some kind of report of whatever preliminary recommendations we adopt or discuss or vote on or whatever the right outcome is? so they, in fact, have something to react to? Because as I understand it, there will be something to react to. Um, and, of course, I, I appreciate this. Our, ours is a process, not a final concrete proposal. But mm -hmm. as a process, it will have some something to point to by September. And, and I, 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 I assume and I hope all that would be additive to everything that's discussed, been discussed so far. Well, based on your current calendar, you have uh, the meeting of the 17th and then the meeting of September 3rd before the first community meeting. So, yes, you could have uh, some recommendations or preliminary options that you would want to discuss with the community in certain categories. Mm -hmm. Do I gather that... Further meetings on the 17th of the 3rd might require more refinement or guidance from the committee as to how to phrase that based on what we actually do? I think we'll be discussing this again, yes. Got it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. oh. Hello. We have uh, one item from the public. Uh, Tammy Dreamer? Is she still around? She gave up? Okay. Public comments not on the agenda. Okay. Mr. Vasquez. Thank you. Uh, my name is Alexander Vasquez. I passed out a, 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 a flyer. I have studied... Fresno's um, strong mayor form of government when it was back in 93. I was there when they, when they did it. And one of the proposals I'd like to introduce to you, and hopefully for your consideration, is section of limitations of term, uh, terms of office, which is basically term limits. The other one is holding of other office. And the last one is off-year campaign contributions. But the one I really want to talk about is um, when Mr. Peterson was talking about when, it's, when this initiative, Measure A at the time, passed, he said it was overwhelmingly. Well, in a way it is. But I've studied this issue for a couple of years, and I've been, been, been involved in politics and campaigning. Measure A passed by 38,000 votes. Most of these strong mayor form initiatives passed by the 30 percentile. Very, it's very low turnout. If Mayor Johnson's proposal were to go, let's say, by June, if at uh, his desire, his proposal would pass by less than 40,000 votes, according to my calculations. Um, and at Fresno at the time, there was 160,000 registered voters. 39% only showed up. So that's why you have low, you have low turnouts on this. And, this. and this is why some of these uh, proposals pass. And I believe Oakland was the same way. 
Oakland was, I believe, 38 percent of, of, of the voter registration or the, or the voter turnout was about that number. And so these proposals, again, it doesn't take a lot to pass these. So um, I've noticed that you guys have a lot of meetings. So if, you're going, if you are going to go to the community, you're going to have to give them a little bit more red meat and distinguish, because that's what campaigns are all about, definitions and distinguish and dis, uh, uh, definitions of what, what other candidates want. I suggest, again, that you give them a little bit more red meat and tell them what kind of proposal they're going to be reading against. Because remember, we have an electorate in the city of Sacramento that 95% of the people still think the mayor still runs the school district. And about 97% still believe, they don't, well, they don't believe, they don't know who the city manager is. So you have a lot of information, a lot of education, and a lot of campaigning to do to make this thing work if it's going to be legitimate. Because if it does come by June of, this, of next year, this thing will pass by less than 40,000 votes, and that is not really true democracy. So there you have it. Thank you, sir. Sure. Thanks very much. Okay. Okay. Anything else from the public? Okay. Committee ideas and questions. Okay. I think, well, Mr. LaFaso. A quick one. I have a follow-up request to staff. Sorry. Uh, last meeting I asked, I believe it was Mr. Bobier, whether there was quantitative data to support uh, the contention that there was, well, whether, what quantitative data he had regarding incumbent turnover or candidate participation in uh, instant runoff voting systems. And he said, well, yes, but I don't have it off the top of my head. Um, so my request is uh, to follow up with him and have him submit whatever he would have had he had it off the top of his head. We will contact him. Thanks. Ms. Fuller. I also wanted to say that I thought that the questions that Ms. Hastings uh, were ta was talking about were very useful, and I hope you'll go ahead and develop some of them for us and um, so we can see if they would be useful in some of the presentations we're making, making it concrete for people. Okay. Cecily, you have an assignment. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Meetings adjourned. Thank you.